voice comes in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to LC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe, maybe you're just getting through the week. Maybe you're trying to get a little exercise, getting outdoors. Maybe you're bundled up. Maybe you got your ear pods in, whatever the case. We're going to be with you in those ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Those heroes, yes, I said it, heroes make this show possible. By supporting us, and in exchange, they get some cool perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a whole boatload of bonus content. They've got Feeling This, two seasons of Feeling This, with Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talking about the feelings behind video games. They've got the DLC Book Club, audio version exclusive to patrons. They've got... Uh, spoiler chats and extra content plus the paid DLC program, which this week was pretty special. It was our first foray into live play. Yes, folks, we discovered live play here uh, 10 years in. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We did Helldivers 2, Lana Bashinsky, Christian Spicer, myself playing a little Helldivers 2, exclusive for the paid DLC, folks. We're going to see if uh, people want more of that content. Um, going forward, you can get in on all that action by heading over to patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. They're spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, slash nemesis the guy who loves explaining jokes mr christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everyone i I think it turns out our audience does want more let's plays from us they just don't want it to replace paid dlc so i think soon enough jeff you'll get to say even more bevy of content that patrons will be getting because it if my gut were to tell me, my gut would tell me that's the way it's going to go, is that this is going to be an addition, not a replacement or I a subtraction. I think we might. I, the, the demand seems to be there. Folks are, really enjoyed it, and we had a great time, too. So we might be adding more bonus content to the paid DLC. We're pushing forward. We're trying to get those numbers up, get more support, make sure the show continues. So if you would like to see us play games, I think there's going to be an announcement very soon about how you can. Uh, yeah, this wasn't it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. No, 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 no. This no, is no, the uh no, yeah. tune in. Stay tuned for an announcement <laughs> forthwith. This is the trailer for the trailer. Yeah. Today. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, we have an amazing show for you this week, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh there's tons to talk about. Uh we are checking up on the the Xbox business, I'm sure, at some point. <laughs> we'll be uh podcasting about a podcast it's, uh, eventually. And we got lots of games to get to, some really fun stuff to chat about. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC 
stands for dramatizing the legacy of a crime. Because we have not only the co-host of the Gamers with Jobs conference call, but he also happens to be debuting his new one-man show, Love Joy on Love Joy, about his own ancestor's murder in 1837. It's our friend, Rich Lovejoy, back with us. Hey, Rich, how are you? I am, my brain is kind of melting a little bit with everything that I've been doing to prepare for this project. So I very much appreciate uh, that uh, excited, uh, high-energy introduction for this uh, play that is about the murder of my abolitionist ancestor by a pro-slavery mob in 1837. Uh, I'm excited that uh, uh, we can also be one of the few video game shows to be advertising a live theatrical event yeah. at the top of the show. Well, I think our audience here is is sick of me bringing on people who are doing plays about their abolitionist ancestors being murdered in 1837. But we have yet another one, folks. Yeah, I'm sorry. it's just a trope at this point. Uh, <laughs> All last year, it was like, is Microsoft going to acquire Activision? Are we going to promote another play about an abolitionist being murdered by... <laughs> slave loving people in 1837 and it's like every week same story same story but it's 2024 now so we get to do it again <laughs> honestly rich i'm so I, i'm so curious about this it seems like such a cool project tell us a little bit about love joy on love joy yeah so this has been a family story that like many family stories you have it kind of percolating in the background uh but you don't really look into it and you just sort of accept that it's there and then of course, uh, Elijah Lovejoy was a newspaper editor, so there's a lot of primary sources, and it was time to do a big deep dive on it, and I was blown away by how relevant all of this is for today, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of the same dynamics and issues that were going on in the early 1800s uh, have been repeated and are still happening today. And this play is, you know, this is a work in progress. This is my first iteration of it. It's a it's a 40 minute show. It's part of the Chain Theaters One Act Festival. And one of the cool things they're doing, because we live in a world of a pandemic, is they're doing a streaming show. So on uh, the 25th, which is a Sunday uh, at around five or five thirty, I forget which because my brain is, like I said, melting Eastern time. Um there's going to be a live stream. So you'll be able to watch this play and two other one act plays that'll go before it that are shorter pieces. One, I think those both are 15 minutes. Mine's a 40 minute play. And you can go to chaintheater.org. And if you enter the code love, because my last name is Lovejoy and the show is Lovejoy on Lovejoy. And the, there's going to be a talk back after the show, which I'm going to dub Lovejoy on Lovejoy on Lovejoy. <laughs> um so you can uh it's gonna be the greatest thing since my we not we need to talk about kevin podcast we need to talk about we need to talk about kevin um, <laughs> it, you should all uh yeah I, I think people should check this out it's a really i know seeing theater over a screen isn't the ideal platform but i i think it's a really important story i think it's a really interesting story and i, I think it'll leave uh people with a lot to think about afterwards I want to ask you a few questions about the talkback specifically, but mostly just so we can say it's love joy on love joy on love joy on love joy. Oh man, we could just this we could inception this. <laughs> <laughs> so let's make it happen. <laughs> uh, that is really really cool. Did, did through the process of 
writing the play and 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 you know figuring out this this how you wanted to tell this tale did you learn things that you didn't already know oh, about yeah. your own family yeah absolutely um it, it's there's just so much stuff there and there's i think a lot of things that people take for granted when we look at history like we one of the big things that uh spoiler alert for a play that hopefully some people will see but one of the big things like when we think about the 1800s i think a lot of people have this idea that you know, slavery was this binary issue, right? Like we were, there were people in the North who were against it and the people in the South were for it. But the reality was it's, it was super complicated and there were a lot of different camps that wanted different things and had different ideas and different approaches. And, and they mirror some of the camps that we have in our (laughs) reality today. So like, it was neat to see some of that stuff and to, and to kind of uh, unpack both the 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 flaws that Elijah Lovejoy had as a person, but also the the sort of the aspirational uh, willingness to embrace a more radical action that was out of step with what was uh, popular and normal at the time. And thinking about that and how we as a country right now, who's still in the throes of some of these same ideological battles, can break out of that that kind of cycle this kind of endless cycle that we're in, like how do we actually evolve out of it? And then you put it through the lens of, of, of family, you know, we have that in families too, right? Like there's a lot of talk about people who are trauma or are cycle breakers who come from like traumatic uh, repeated patterns in families and break out of it. So what I'm trying to do, the very simple task is to just, what can I do to make America just break out of its cycle? It's trauma cycle. That's, that's mm-hmm. all. You know, pretty easy Simple, objective yeah. for low hanging fruit there. Yeah, yeah, I can do it in forty minutes on on a stage. <laughs> Boom, <laughs> no problem. Um, that's awesome. And uh, you know, certainly, um, uh, as video gamers, we love you know we love learning about history. We love delving into these stories that uh, you know ha- personas and and questions that are very different from our lives. I think that's part of what makes gamers gamers is kind of um, stepping into another place, another time. And that's kind of, uh, you know, what you're doing here. I, I, I wonder if your, uh, interest in the hobby was reflected in this project or if it kind of ran parallel to it in some way. It's very, uh, funny that you mentioned that one of the, the first big breakout, uh, theatrical, uh, indie theater hit that I had was a play called Adventure Quest, which was, in fact, a play in the style of a Sierra online adventure game with a character walking around on stage and walking up to people and going, talk to man. And then the person would have <laughs> a set speech and he would just pick up every object and try to randomly combine things. Um, that was it was a, it was a super fun show. But uh, the hobby is slightly reflected in this piece, actually. This is uh, uh, Lovejoy on Lovejoy has the distinction of being the only play about an abolitionist to feature the solo performer wearing a pentiment T-shirt. Whoa, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Which is, you know, I'm playing the character of Richard Lovejoy. So I had to get into Richard Lovejoy's head a little bit and, and kind of do the things that Richard Lovejoy would do. And wear the, the the clothes that he would wear. And Richard Lovejoy <laughs> has this Pentiment T-shirt, and he let me borrow it for the show as a costume. So, well, you know, very it's, kind of him for yes, yeah, yeah. I think he's got to be kind to himself sometimes. That's that's part of the <laughs> the breaking out of the trauma cycles, right? <laughs> be kind to yourself. Awesome. Well, uh, we will repeat at the end uh, how folks can tune in uh, on this. But again, it's February twenty fifth. 
that you'll be performing uh, live. You can watch the live stream. Very cool way to uh, be able to watch this wherever you happen. It's going to be in New York City, right? But you will, It is going to be in New York City at the Chain Theater. If you're in New York City and yeah. you want to go to the Chain Theater one act and go to Program 12, uh, that the show actually opens uh, on Tuesday, the 20th. Just say uh, Jeff sent me and I'll give you the discount code of like, like maybe a beer. There you know. go. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a pretty me. sweet deal. Yeah. A beer in New York City, that's like a $50 promo code, folks. So you got to you <laughs> It'll be a tax heart. write-off because I'm doing it for a play. <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> All right. So, so you heard it here, DLC listeners. Uh, put put Rich uh, in the poorhouse by how many people show up at the at the play and ask for a beer. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be awesome. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into it. We got a lot to talk about. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments, questions, anything you would like us to know. We love hearing from you over there at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Incidentally, before we even get into it, I do need to address the elephant in the room re-emails uh, this week because I was taken to task about some uh, unflattering things I had to say about Club Penguin last week. And I take it all back. I have been schooled. Uh, some folks told me that C- Club Penguin uh, is still alive and well. I, I insinuated that uh, Disney's Club Penguin was a massive failure and that if uh, if if it had been more successful, it'd still be going. But guess what? It is still be going. It, it is still going. And uh, there are people in Club Penguin as we speak. So apologies. Thank you all for your emails uh, correcting me on Club Penguin. Anywho, DLC uh, Don't worry about that, Jeff. I, on Gamers with Jobs, one time said Fortnite doesn't exist anymore and nobody plays it and nobody likes it. Uh, and then <laughs> I was very quickly corrected on that. It turns out, did you hear that this thing's actually huge? I'm not familiar with what are you, Fortnite. Yeah, that's not, the thing. It sounds like a... it's it sounds like a niche way to refer to two weeks. <laughs> it does. To, to be fair, D, again, that's dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Club Penguin was shut down in 2017. It was brought back as some other thing, but the Club yeah. Penguin memory that you had of it being shut down, accurate. It being so, huge, yeah. also accurate. Direct your emails to together. Christian this time. Uh, <laughs> yes. Anyway, story of the week. you can also hang out in our discord where you can you know correct us uh, in front of other people as well uh that is five by five dlc on discord great folks hanging out talking about games check it out okay rich you are our guest you get first pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week i mean okay so one of the things about the stories of the, the stories of the week is that a lot of them seem to be somewhat related uh or like adjacent to each other in some way. So I'm tempted to talk about Xbox business, but let's uh let's have a little PlayStation amuse bouche first and talk <laughs> talk a little bit about that cuz that's a story that uh th- th- this story has come out that the PS5 there was there is nearing the end of its life cycle. And this is a story that my suspicion is that this is slightly overblown. I feel like what is actually being said in this story is that the PlayStation 5, which is four years old, 
is in the you know missing its sale targets uh place sony's uh uh going through one as every company is right now that is trying to chase an arbitrary number that is bigger than a previous number instead of just saying maybe maybe number be okay to not be larger sometimes or only be slightly larger instead of insanely larger um but the four-year-old playstation 5 is probably in the latter half of its life cycle is i think what the intention of the the comment was. So we're still talking three or four more years. Like there's still going to be a PlayStation five. We're not talking about PlayStation six showing up in Christmas or anything like, you know, right. like this, right. it's just not, this is yeah. not a, a I, I don't think this is somebody like PlayStation. The PlayStation five is on the plank and about to walk into the shark infested waters below. I think we're, I don't know why I'm just adding metaphors to this, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been I, good. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's easy to read this, which let's be fair, I think was reported in translation. So let's, let's note that as well. I think this was an originally something that was said by uh, Sony's senior vice president uh, in Japanese. And I think it was translated. Um, and the idea of it being uh, nearing the end of its life cycle, certainly could, I could certainly sympathize with the person going, oh, PlayStation 6 d- debuting at not E3 this year. <laughs> We're hearing about it. It's uh, 2026. Here it comes. 25, whatever. I don't know what year we're in. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that's the case. Uh, it does seem like a... Uh, a <laughs> wildly uh inappropriate thing to just say out loud you know if you're the senior vice president of a giant multi-billion dollar corporation this feels like a (laughs) a uh poorly (laughs) thought through uh quote but as you say it really speaks to the uh, sort of state of the industry as a whole and not not i think specifically where the playstation 5 is but yes, uh, it is, it is sales are slowing. It's funny, you know, they're like, people aren't buying these as like we thought they would, and we're giving them no reasons this year to do so. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- that's, that's the funniest part. It's just like, <laughs> we, we have zero first party titles coming out in 2024 and people, uh, so I don't understand why people aren't rushing out. They got to have these. I don't know. But you know, the, I think the PlayStation five has sold over 50 million units, something like that. Um, we're at a, a huge, there's a huge install base. I don't think we're going to get a PlayStation six, uh, anytime soon. We, we just got the slim PlayStation five. Um, we have had a very odd life cycle beginning first half of a life cycle for, for this generation of consoles, because we had, you know, the weirdness with COVID and supply chain and all the stuff that sort of happened right around the release of these, uh, the first couple of years of these uh, consoles lifetimes. And, you know, it, it's a strange thing to be talking about maybe phasing them out already or thinking to the, to the next generation when it seems to me, and I think a lot of people that we haven't even really hit the stride. It's been most of the stuff that we've seen is, you know, cross generational releases or, you know, re remasters, something that's brought it uh, onto the new generation. We haven't really seen the, oh my God, look what's possible now uh, type stuff that was promised. And I do think that's still to come. 
I don't think that we are going to miss out on the PlayStation 5 having its moment. Uh, but I do think this was a, a wildly inappropriate thing to get into the headlines and have people like us talk about. Yeah. Christian, I, what? Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, please, I, just, go ahead. I just have a, I just wondered too, I was thinking about the the possibility of, of it being a translation misfire too. Maybe it, maybe it isn't even an inappropriate thing to say. It could have been doing something like if somebody saw me on the street and said, that guy's middle-aged. If somebody said that of the PlayStation 5's life cycle, that's probably fair. You know? <laughs> right. Like <that's>... Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, evidently, the the exact quote is, looking ahead, PS5 will, will enter the later stage of its life cycle. I mean, that's true of everything. <laughs> if you look ahead, ahead at yes. some point, a thing will enter the yes. later stages of its life cycle. This fruit fly in 14 seconds will enter the late stage <laughs> of its life cycle. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just think this is a... a um, I don't think this is a nothing burger. I, I think it is a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, but I I do think there is a molehill there, which is this is a weird generation. This is a weird console generation, one that is kind of not going as planned, but we've are we knew that already. Um, Christian, I wonder what your reaction to this headline was, or you we we read, we read more than the headline. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just wait for you to read them to me, to be perfectly honest, and then I react. My gut. Um, I think that part of this also, this wasn't an investor call, right? This wasn't a Sony state of play. This wasn't a press release. This is the type of statement, again, assuming accurate uh, translation and reporting, which I'm going to assume. This is the type of statement that can be made this year, and then I'm making stuff up. But then say in 2025, new Sony Santa Monica comes out, new Naughty Dog comes out, new Sony Bend comes out, new Insomniac comes out, and they make a statement saying, this is a banner year for PlayStation. The PlayStation 5 is going to be strong for years to come. Because this statement right now is a statement justifying their current incomes and revenue expectations alongside costs that they're delivering to shareholders, whereas that hypothetical next year statement would be them justifying those revenues and projections and costs to shareholders. A lot of these statements, if you look back across industry, people justify what's happening in the moment in a way to make it make sense and also paint the idea of their business in the best light possible within the confines in the United States of what the SEC allows someone to say. <laughs> and I don't know <laughs> Japanese-specific financial reporting laws or requirements. I would assume they have some. And so, you know, yeah, we're at a downturn right now. Or we're not hitting these numbers that we projected we'd hit. Here's a reason why that is reasonable and you understand and also doesn't make you panic about our core business strategy in this market easy and as rich pointed out this is just a statement after i was born i was going to at some point enter the end of my life cycle like that's how it works so this feels to me like a very safe statement about explaining the odd predicament jeff as you mentioned we are in in this console generation whereas it was brought about during a pandemic and because of that, there were supply chain difficulties, but also a fever pitch appetite for software in these games. And we coming off a year like last year with all these incredible games that finally came out as those floodgates broke open. And now leading into this year, without that many of big marquee titles from these marquee studios, 
we're in this weird spot of what is this generation? What is it going to be? What, how is this revenue trend going to continue? How do we explain it? And I think Microsoft is about to do the same thing in our next story, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. And we'll, we will continue to talk more about it. But I do think the reason this felt so discordant to folks hearing this quote uh, is, is, I don't think this is a, it's wrong to th- hear that and go, uh, what? What? Because there really hasn't been that thing we've seen almost every other generation. I say almost, I don't even think almost belongs every other generation where the, there are these huge titles that could only be possible on that new piece of hardware. Right. And I don't think we've seen that. We don't, we certainly doesn't feel like we've seen that even the stuff that is exclusive to PS five. It doesn't feel like a huge leap from those late stage PS four bangers, you know, even like a, a, uh, Last of Us Part Two remastered, yeah, it's it looks better than the PS4 version, but it's not. Oh my God, that justifies the hardware better. It's it, we, you know, we we haven't seen things that feel like, oh wow, this new console generation is a leap forward, even though we, it was purported to be one of the biggest leaps forward, the PlayStation Five. So, uh, you know, we've seen faster load times. We've seen a lot of stuff available on all the, con- you know, p- previous generation of console. We've seen a lot of, you know, incremental upgrades. There just hasn't been that thing that's left its mark as to what defines this generation. And then to hear, well, we've kind of peaked. We're cre- we crested the peak and we're down, down on the other side. We're heading toward, you know, the, uh, the end here. It just feels like, well, when did we you know, when did the PS five become essential? And I don't think it has had that essential moment yet, which is, I think frustrating. It can be frustrating. Uh, you know? Yeah. I think development time and costs are part of that too. I think this is the generation of, Oh gosh, it takes how long and how many hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to make a game yoink, uh, or zoink, I guess is better. Um, and I think I, folks I are feeling that. I can join. <laughs> I can join Grizzoink in this situation. <laughs> I I do think that uh, project management time estimation skills in the video game industry it's just it's so hard to determine when something can actually be complete and how much it's going to cost. And I just think there's no real way for th- for them to plan around that. And the the other thing that's I think interesting about all of this is uh how it relates to the idea of this big tentpole game where studios have to basically bet the farm on every game that comes out and if you get a hit congratulations you can tread water for another (laughs) six years to make another massive thing but if you get a miss then it's you know suddenly the embracer group is there stabbing you uh in a dark alley at night um, or you just lay off hundreds of people. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's that. Uh, it's and that's. Uh, yeah, I don't know that that's a uh, good, right. <laughs> sustainable, or you know, right. like this is. I, I sometimes I think my my biggest. Uh, you know, I have a lot of worries and anxieties about where all of this could possibly head and how unsustainable 
all of this is and not just in video games, but even like broader out in terms of how our economies are functioning. But my, my little hope to give a little, a little bit of ray of light to like what this could look like in a way that's positive is like, okay, so what happens if we don't really have much in the way of first party games anymore, but, and we don't really have as many giant, massive behemoth games. Maybe there's one or two, but not, you know, scores of them. And instead, there's just a lot of interesting niche stuff that you just sort of have to stumble apart, like stumble across. Like, do you remember? Uh, you guys are, are we were all roughly the same age, so you you know you went to record stores and found sure cool stuff. Like, I I, I, yeah. I wonder if video games will approach that type of thing again, where it's going to be all a lot of like interesting smaller teams making work that they're deeply passionate about. And uh, you stumbling across it at the middle of the night on, uh, uh, you know, on Steam or on some I mean, or on itch.io I, I, or, or wherever. I think we're already there, right? I, I think, I think uh, you know, I just, we just had Steam Next Fest last week and it was a thousand games, a thousand. And none of them are what we're talking about as far as, you know, Sony First Party or giant AAA. It was all of that kind of cool interesting small teams you know like there's this really vibrant tapestry of indie games that are i don't know how if they're thriving a thousand games in steam next fest seems like an untenable situation it seems like a you know i don't know how anyone makes any money at that level as somebody who does independent theater in new york trust me it's fine (laughs) right well i mean i think even to take your former analogy even when we we were all going to you know Tower Records and and thumbing through the you know the bootlegs or whatever thumbing through the the deep cuts there was still you know five or six artists at the tippity top that were raking in all the cash and everybody else was like just making a living you know kind of doing their thing and i think that's kind of where we are with <clears throat> with uh the video game industry and i think it's much i mean Again, there's problems. I'm not going to say there aren't. We've 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 outlined them week after week here. But I was <laughs> I I think, and, and again, this may be damning with faint praise, but it I think it's in a stronger, healthier position than the film industry. <laughs> you know, I think uh, again, maybe low bar, but the film industry I think is in a much scarier place because there isn't uh, a vibrant underbelly of interesting indie things there is streaming and there's great television but there's like the movies that are made are of a very specific kind and cost a lot of money and there's big big hits and huge lots of big failures and then there's nothing and then there's like some real low budge stuff that goes to film festivals and the people are scraping by but there's no like healthy middle and i do think there is much more of one in the video game industry than in the film industry. I'm glad that uh, my interests are largely uh, film theater and and video games. I've really, really chosen some uh, (laughs) easy fields. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There's nothing and there's nothing uh, coming along technologically that will eliminate any of those. Don't worry. I mean, I think music was the same way, Jeff, you mentioned top 40 and that all kind of always existing, but 
I don't know if this is a silver lining or a glass half empty uh, to split metaphors because it's <laughs> it, it's harrowing to realize as an adult you look back at some of your favorite most formative bands and then learn that what what are what are they doing now and then you look it up and it's like oh struggling they broke up <laughs> in two thousand and and are, are like happy but they're not you know the Rolling Stones right they're not retired off of their two pop punk albums you loved in 98 and 2002 they yeah. are now working jobs that they love and with the family they love but they're not yeah. living off yeah, of that Operation sweet ivy are all millionaires right i mean <laughs> probably they are because rancid rancid came yeah, later yeah, true, um yeah. but yes yes your point is yes <laughs> in that they're, they're working regular and it's like the, the the silver lining is like wow you can you don't have to be top 40 to touch somebody's life and mean something to someone. Right. At the same time, the glass half empty is, yeah, it's top 40 for a reason. And there's way more than 40, (laughs) (laughs) way more than 40. I like touching lives, but I also like my life to be touched by financial security. You know what I mean? No, we are, we are, are, Jeff, this show, this show, my friend, is a pop punk album that came out in 2002. It came out at the right time, at the height of pop punk. We sold a lot of albums, but we're not top 40. We're not. No. Let's not pretend. People being, remember you know us. I mean? Remember us for our early hits. What have we done lately? Not much. Let's be honest. We opened the small stage of when we were young. You know, that's that's the festival. We're on the side stage at 2 a.m. Well, everyone's asking you to play tabletop time. Right. <laughs> yeah, <funny>. <laughs> I <laughs> I stand on stage and zone out just like I did before. Um, crowd goes wild. Well, speaking of uh, financial responsibilities, let's take a break for a sponsor. <laughs> when you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a ten-year, one hundred thousand mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. All right. Um, <laughs> I suspect I know what Christian's story of the week is because uh, Sony fans were not the only ones kvetching this week about uh, the changing tides and maybe the con- their console of choice uh, is betraying them on some level. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Yeah, my story of the week was hinted at for weeks. There was an internet kerfuffle. It became this week's story of the week because they had to move it forward because the cart got in front of the horse and rumors are running rampant of microsoft going full sega or what it was going to mean um so xbox hosted their update on the xbox business they did it as a podcast a video podcast on the xbox podcast youtube page and where they post their podcasts the main reason it's my story of the week though gentlemen we start doing video podcasts 
you know, we're here every week announcing business <laughs> updates about DLC, what shows yeah. we have on the Patreon, what bonuses we're doing, and look who copies us. Yeah. Come on, Xbox. Can't you do a state of play? Like, no. Yeah. Um, Christian's always talking about the booty. <laughs> they have Matt booty. I, you know, it's all, it's, it just feels. It's the same. It's the same. Jeff had an eye patch like a Bond villain. They have a Bond. Um, it's the same. It's the same. It's the yeah. same. They had their update. Their up- yeah, we have Spicer. They have Spencer. It's not. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. Xbox and Microsoft is the most valuable corporation in the world. We have Rich. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. They yeah, did their 20 business. minutes. 20 minutes of a podcast they did. <laughs> Hold on, My we're, favorite we're doing, 20 minutes. Wait, wait, Jeff. We're not we're doing 20 minutes of riffing on their podcast. Yeah, Hold on. We, we gotta do longer. We, we can make this work. My favorite my favorite thing was uh evidently there was a comment on the video that was like the most upvoted comment of the hundreds of thousands of comments that got on the video. And it was this podcast could have been an email, which <laughs> chef's kiss to the author of that comment. Because yeah, that's that's tremendous. That's top tier. Top the tier. second the second most upvoted play tabletop time. It was odd, but there it was. <laughs> People were really wanting to hear it. Um, the TLDR of this twenty minute podcast is yes, four games are going multi platform. They did not say which four games. Uh, sea of Thieves, Pentiment, Hi Fi Rush, and what was the fourth one? Uh, they, they, to be fair, they did not say this. Christian, is I know just, they did not say this. I'm just saying yeah. what they are. They said what, um, they said two that aren't. They said not Starfield and not Indiana Jones, but also maybe. But also, like, we was that possibly a mistranslation though? They may not speak <laughs> podcast, and uh, they don't. That's true. Yeah. I did not hear one promo code given out on this podcast, so I don't know if it's real or not. I don't yeah. know. Phil sent me. What's my code? Yeah, if you guys code? come to Lovejoy and Lovejoy, and you say Phil sent me, I'll get you an Xbox. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that would bank. Yeah, up. so th- they did say <laughs> they did say four games are going multi-platform. They did not say which four those are. They said that Starfield and uh, Indiana Jones are not going to PlayStation Five, but also don't rule out anything. And then Sarah Bond recommitted to hardware, saying that they're working on some exciting stuff they'll talk about later. And they said something that Jeff said just a few minutes ago in this podcast of what this generation was supposed to be. But this next generation is going to be the biggest generational leap that we've ever seen. They're committed to it. And Phil Spencer said multiple times that Xbox is everywhere. And they've said, he said all the different taglines they've had, meaning it's everywhere. Play everywhere. Xbox is for everyone. Or when some of us, when we all game, we all gain or whatever it is. Like a bunch of these reinforcing the idea that they want it everywhere. And then they wrapped. That was kind of it. Well, one of the one of the things I think that was most interesting to me was that they said specifically Game Pass will not be on any other consoles, which I thought was actually pretty surprising because I figured that was very much in their plan. Get Game Pass, get that subscription from anybody and everybody. Uh, but they said no. Uh, that it goes game- against their slogan too of Xbox is everywhere except on the other consoles. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, evidently the four titles that are going to other places, uh, they had in that, that in their plan. 
Uh, also, Spencer was like, if you know, if you take Activision Blizzard, we're one of the biggest publishers on PlayStation uh, right now. It's like, yeah, you bought you bought one of the biggest publishers on PlayStation. But I, I just thought this whole thing was really weird. You know, uh, it's such a weird tone to strike. Of let's talk to you as if you are investors in our company, and I I just don't understand the gamer as invested in the company mindset thing that has somehow become the norm. Like I, there are enough gamers that feel like they are not just buying a console. They're buying like stock in the company. You know, they feel like it, it, choosing which console to put in their home means they have they have like a vested interest in the machinations of that company on a strategic level it just it it makes no sense to me it, it it's such a weird like spencer is there literally saying out saying the quiet part loud which is he said with a complete straight face into the camera he's like you know we need growth and there's only two ways to get growth squeeze more money out of our uh, our uh, existing player base or find new players to squeeze money out of and he's like and we've already always preferred the latter and it's like everybody's like oh yes please don't squeeze money out of us find new people to squeeze money out of and it's like are we all insane like which just... to be fair you can go to patreon.com slash dlc pod yes, if you're yes. not a member and become and, and by the way if we don't have growth we will have to be like sega and just farm ourselves out to other podcasts this podcast will go a, third I, party yeah i, I, I know it's a, a probably a little bit early for a parting gift but you know carl marx has some interesting ideas that people might want <laughs> <laughs> I want to read about right now. <laughs> it, it just it, it's such a weird tone to strike because it felt like hey we need to re- reassure our investors that they have invested correctly in our company and it's like well you just i i understand that you don't want xbox to go away but don't worry the four games that are going to other con- you have those on your it's such a weird thing the most valuable country a country company the most valuable company in the history of humankind is going to reassure you that they're not going away they're not it's like i i i don't i don't get any of the the hullabaloo around this story i don't get it at all i thought there was some interesting stuff mentioned so i'm not saying it's a it's not worth talking about but just the whole like pretense of the conversation which is you better assure me as someone who has purchased a console that you're going to continue making new versions of this console in the future. It's like, what? It, 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 I don't, I don't get it. I, I kind of, I, really I kind of disagree, but rich, you've been waiting patiently. So I just wanted to stick my pen on my kind of disagree and we can get back to it. Rich, what, I, what are your I, thoughts? I, I think like an interesting side part of this that you, that you brought up, uh, Jeff was that, uh, the, the treating of people, uh, who who are the customers, right? As as being somehow investors, and the way that that plays into some of the toxicity, actually, in within gaming, in console wars, in people uh, doing review bombing of like you Sony games or yeah, Xbox games if right. they're invested in having the other one come out on like top. And there's activists. There's this, 
you know? Yeah. Like and it's an a, activist for my console. It's such an odd thing. But it's like ahead, I sorry. need to turn everything into a sport or a competition um, instead of just letting different iterations of creative work uh, be a thing and be happy when more people can go and see that work or, or, or experience that work. And it just, it, it, it's something that I think we are being culturally in a, even outside of video games wired toward like that conflict with uh, other people, you know, and, and trying to identify yourself within position relative to what other people like if i have this console i am an xboxer and and i have green blood and i <laughs> yeah my, and and anything playstation or nintendo I'm, I'm gonna shout at it and say that it's for babies it's such a weird mindset and i i wonder i don't it's not something i know how to unpack or uh what a path for it is because it seems really disastrous <laughs> and not just in, in terms of what it means within conflict in games, but just the broader ideas of it, that, that it, that it hints out of hints at about the way that we're, our society is set up. Um, that's, that's my little comment, but I do want to hear what uh, uh, Christian, your, your disagree, your, where you disagree with the uh, Jeff's statement from earlier. Well, Rich, I think you might be a nice thread through the needle because I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I think Jeff also was getting to that. I don't think we're like on different sides. That's what I'm about to say is I think a lot of things are framed as winners and losers, even if it's, you know, pick a political debate. I don't even need you to be presidential. Pick your local district attorney presidential debate. If you read your local newspaper, it'll be who won the debate. It won't be uh, Gary said this and Susan said this. It was who won. Who it's won. all horse race. Yeah, there's a there's a competition. Are you on the winning spin. team? We need to spin th- this instead of report. Are, yeah, are yeah. you on the losing team? And I think a part of that also is, as people and myself included, we don't want to pick wrong. There's a reason why review sites are huge and review videos are huge, and still, you know, people like seeing review scores on video games and. Before I buy a TV, I research a thousand different TVs and look at Amazon reviews, even though I know half of them are fake or Yelp reviews before you go to a restaurant. You don't want to pick the wrong one. And video game consoles and video games are expensive. And I I, I, I don't think people want to put down their hard-earned money on something and feel like they picked the wrong one because they're not going to get those games or experiences that were maybe promised to them it's like oh well i bought into this because of the things you've told me before corporate cheerleader and now if it's yeah. going to weigh i feel that's one last point one last okay. point if that's going away i feel bad and i think these companies often try to create these fever pitched fan bases and then try to put their hands up and say it wasn't us everybody should be nice to each other when things don't work out that well but they build this like Show us your tattoos. Uh, you know, be hardcore. This person got here at two in the morning. We're going to film them and put them on our vlog. You got to sign up early. Get reward points for all this stuff. And then the A's moved to Las Vegas, and that sucks. You know, it sucks. So I I get it, but I think we're kind of pitted against each other. Yeah, and so this, Fox, this remind that reminds me of the time that I put all this like blood and chum in the water and all these sharks showed up and they were really bitey and angry. And I was like, why, why are you guys being like that? <laughs> we need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I'm sensitive to what you brought up in the first half of your argument as far as it, it, it is an investment. It is not an insubstantial uh, amount of money to get into the the one or the other side of the these consoles. Like these, you know, it's not not a small thing. And most people are not like me. They do not have a uh, <laughs> an interest or a, a reason to have all the consoles, right? They're not going to be, I, I totally understand that. I'm sensitive to it. I respect it. That said, I, I think you mischaracter. My problem is you sort of mischaracterize the, the latter half, which is like, well, I was promised these experiences. Well, you're still getting them. Like the, the thing that I don't get here is that I was promised that I was getting the experiences and those people weren't. Well, because I was if promised they- those people weren't getting it. Because if you knew the other people were going to get them, you would have bought the one. It's like, do you want to you go to the restaurant everything. that has just vegan food or the one that's just a butcher? Or do you want both? That That's that's why it's – it's not that they're getting it. It's that, that you're not getting God of War. You know? <laughs> like that, well, that's but you the were issue. always not getting God of War. You made that – they're, they're, so you're saying there was, there was no all-you-could-eat the ch- buffet. There was right. no there, – there was no PC. Right. right. Like, <laughs> well, there is, there has always been that, but the, but yes, I, I see the sit in the sense of like, well, I would have just gotten a PlayStation five if I knew I could play Starfield on it. Yeah. But you chose to play, you're still getting to play the thing that was most important to you. Like it's such a, <laughs> it's such a weird backwards, like inverted, uh, offense, you know, like, well, I, I got the thing I wanted, but I could have gotten more than I wanted. if had I known it's just a weird well maybe it's like maybe it's like i always feel bad like rich if someone were to buy an iphone like they don't know that every september new iphones come out and i always feel a little bad for the person who goes to the apple store and buys the new iphone in august august (laughs) 20th yeah yeah that stinks and they're still getting what they paid for they still looked at oh a thousand dollars for an iPhone 15 Pro. That is a trade I'm willing to make. This seems worth it to me. And then you go home and you open your new iPhone. And you go to uh, theverge.com and you read new iPhone coming next week. This sucks. I think it's akin to that. I think those are cousins. Those experiences. They're cousins, but they're not the same thing. Like, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't. I know, also man. think in the in the. In the case of the iPhone example, just to continue to thread needles, because now I'm gonna <laughs> now I'm gonna lean into some some sewing metaphors. In the in the the case of the uh, uh, of the iPhone, like that is a it's it is a device that we do a lot of things on, and it is obviously part of our life. But I think when we're talking about video games, it's a little closer to like that's a cultural force, right? Like that's a subscription to Hulu or uh, Netflix. It's it's sort of like more of that choice. It's like what flavor of content are you getting? Only it's like some of the shows are going to be on both Hulu and Netflix. Wow, I meant for this to be a sewing metaphor, and then it became a TV <laughs> metaphor. I was like, we're like literally ten minutes away from when I did like the shark metaphor. It's just, I, just, I don't know what's going on, guys, and I apologize for all the metaphors. It's just they're, they're it's it's a uh, I don't know, <laughs> it's just happening today. <laughs> It's working for me. I'm enjoying. It. I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah, and maybe I'm maybe I'm being too harsh. I, I just feel like this is is such a weird thing to be have taken over. You know, the gaming sphere this week. 
you know, and the, and, and that watching them all sit there and be like, don't worry, there's still games coming to your game consoles. Like, yeah, we know. Yes. And don't worry. We're not giving all the games to the other people. <clears throat> it's like, I don't know. I feel I, if you really want games on your, on your, your console, maybe you should want the company to do the thing that lets them not lay off all the people that are making the games, you know, like maybe we should try to get the games sold to as many places as possible so that all the people that make the games don't lose their jobs. How about that? And also, and also Diablo four is coming to game pass. Oh yeah. Big, that, <laughs> that was that, you know, it could have been such a big announcement. It could have just, been. Uh, yeah. Mm, just okay. right under there, by the way, <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> It, 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 the whole I do think it should have been an email. I, I also think that it was weird that it was a podcast that was rehearsed but not scripted versus Sarah yeah. or Phil or somebody just saying, you know, Phil at his desk, which he's done. I don't know. It, it worked it, for them, I guess. But I think you, we need to underscore what you just said, Christian, because I'm glad you brought that up. Because as somebody that has been hired to be the host of stuff like this in the past – I want everyone who listens to this podcast to to be very aware that was the half dozenth time they did that today, right? They have they knew exactly what questions were coming. Every interruption or oh, that's a great point, Sarah. What had they had done fourteen times? All they knew every beat of that. None of it was off the cuff. None of it was. It was a performance and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but I felt like it was such a weird format to do that in for this kind of discussion. Now, having said that, it it was very clear they had been planning to do this thing in this way for other reasons before this became a big brouhaha that they had to address. So I understand sort of pivoting and like, well, we've got this podcast we're going to do. Let's just use that. Um, so I kind of understand, but, but, you know, be clear, like that was not a podcast in the way this is a podcast, which is we're all talking out of our butts, right? <laughs> they, none of them, they all had sat down and done, they all approved all of those. There were 14 people in a room before that, who they, the first time they answered it went, yeah, we don't like the wording. Change your wording of that. Like everything was approved a thousand times and worked and un- they knew exactly the, the way that was all going to happen. And that's okay. That doesn't mean it's inauthentic. It just means that it was a very crafted message that could have been crafted in a, in a number of ways. They just crafted it to look like it was off the cuff and casual, which it very much was not. If I was directing this conversation as a movie, just to jump genres again, I would immediately cut to a camera behind Jeff with the the monologue that he just did on the screen. <laughs> yeah. That the bad news about that is that it means that this show has terrible writers. <laughs> <laughs> writers are basically incoherent <laughs> but just to pull the curtain back further to be clear when every guest on a late night talk show all of those questions have never been vetted by that talent's handler or pr the stories they tell are totally off the cuff when they go oh you asked about the first car i bought 
as I'm here to promote my new movie, Ferrari. I never thought this would come up. Let me look down the barrel of the camera and tell you about a story when I was 17 in Italy. Totally yeah. random and off the cuff. <clears throat> it's weird how that question leads right into the first three jokes of my stand-up routine. <laughs> <laughs> i heard you just had a breakup oh yeah let me tell you <laughs> it's almost like you know they were trying to create a fight between avatars anyway i don't want to talk about anything specific here <sighs> all right all right i think you're trying to predict what my story of the week is going to be you're telling well, me to move on is that is the prompt it's only saying, a prediction if it wasn't scripted now folks are going to find out that our bold and cool ranch episode is totally scripted none is, of those all those predictions are <laughs> what, what is the uh what was the memed thing from the game awards this year that please wrap it up <laughs> i can't remember the exact yeah this story i think as we do story of the week it's just like <laughs> music starts off. playing all right as christian mentioned uh my story of the week uh i like avatar the last airbender i like all the avatars i'm a big fan of the avatar i'm a, I'm a fan of the way of the water and i'm a fan of avatar the last airbender i'm a fan of Ultima, animated too series. also features an avatar that's right avatar Know that Britannia has entered into a new age of enlightenment. Yes, I'm a fan of all the avatars. <laughs> um, I love Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm very nervous about the live action, which I think is debuting like this week, right? This Thursday, I think it debuts. Uh, the I've new got live bad action. News, Jeff, Netflix we're series. in it. What's that? This is it. We're, this is it. This is the live we're, action of it. Oh. That's the script I'm, that I'm we've been terrible. reading I'm a, and filming. I'm a We're in the podcast bender. scene in the Avatar yeah. The Last Airbender. Yeah. They podcast in Avatar The Last Airbender, right? I only sure. know the Why Ultima one. And Ultima <laughs> has the famous Lord British podcast. Right. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, we heard this week that uh, Avatar The Last Airbender will have a fighting game. Uh, they're entering the fighting game game. And uh, we don't know exactly who is going to be making this uh, forthcoming title, but we do know that the publisher will be Maximum Entertainment. Uh, they're working in collaboration with Paramount to bring uh, Avatar The Last Airbender uh, into uh, a fighting game. We don't know if it's going to be a 2D fighter. I hope. I hope it's a 2D fighter. I hope, it, I hope it looks like the cartoon. No idea if it will. I mean, if this live action version uh, is a huge hit, for Netflix, maybe it'll look more like that. But I'm hoping it really does look like a real 2D, sort of like the Dragon Ball Z uh, fighter we saw uh, last year, year before. I don't remember how recently that was. Anyway, that's what I'm hoping for. And I think Avatar The Last Airbender has the, you know, has the rich lore. It's not even lore. It's just the number of characters that do different cool stuff uh, that you need for a fighter. I don't think you even need lore for a fighter per se. Uh, you just need a number of cool move sets, and man, Last Airbender has that in spades, right? We have all the different uh, benders. We know all the different, um, you know, main characters, and and uh, <clears throat> I think it could be really a cool, uh, a a cool IP to leverage into a fighting game. There are definitely ways they can screw it up, and there have been a number of bad Avatar: The Last Airbender video games in the past, so. The track record isn't great, but Rich, what do you think? Avatar The Last Airbender as a fighting game? What do you think? Can I play the Cabbage Merchant? Oh, just constantly getting hit. Uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't attack. You can only absorb damage. 
that would not be far from how I generally play fighting games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that idea. I think there should definitely be a, uh, a cabbage vendor cameo at least, or like a, uh, instead of like breaking the car. It. Yeah. Instead yeah. of like breaking the car in street fighter, you just have to yeah. get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Knock over the, yeah. Uh, I love it. I mean, I, I, I want to play as Toph already. Like, let me be a, you know, earthbender and, That'd be fun. I, I just think this would be cool. Christian, did you, you were a fan of the show too, yeah? Yeah, I'm curious what it's, I was going to my, my initial reaction when I saw this news is it feels like an odd time to come out in terms of this, the IP's pinnacle of its fandomness, but perhaps this Netflix show will, whether it's good or bad, will get interest in the anime again and kind of the yeah. core IP in a way that helps it. Dragon Ball is just kind of forever. And there's been so many different seasons, but, and I could be wrong, but in my head, Avatar, The Last Airbender is this one thing, like it, it's the the story. And I don't know when its peak in popularity is, has been, or will be. So I'm curious to see how this type of IP fares as, um, as an IP that perhaps stands the test of time forever with new entries in it, the way I guess Lord of the Rings has, where it's like, Oh, well, there's another one of those, <laughs> you know, Legend of Korra, you know, yeah. and I, I yeah. supposedly there are like two more um, things in development, two more. I don't know what they are, but I, I heard there's like two more avatar adjacent things that are happening uh, in the next few years. And we'll see how well this live action one does. I've, I've heard, various uh reports good and bad about w- what it could be so i'm anxious to see the live action one but i know there's like more animated stuff coming too so i think the That's ip cool. is far from from you know far from dead and they, they say this game won't even go into early access until 2025 so it's a, it's a ways out and we don't know exactly what studio is doing it but um i have high hopes i have high hopes all right Let's talk about the games that we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Rich, you always come armed with a bevy of really interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I, where would you like to start? I see that you have some really interesting stuff on your playlist. Yeah. So I think I want to start with um, a preview because I, I've got uh, a game that is still under embargo, but I I can briefly talk about what it is. I can't say anything about uh, how I feel about it. So uh, I will try very hard and probably talk slowly so that I can make sure I'm not doing that. Um, but there is a game coming out called The Thaumaturge. Have uh, either of you been clocking this uh, this at all? It is uh, due to come out um, March fourth, and it yeah, is... I, I, had, I had seen stuff about this. Isn't this isn't this kind of? Uh, I could be completely misremembering it, but isn't this kind of uh, sort of? Uh, similar to disco Elysium in some way, or kind of trying to be the next disco Elysium or am I misremembering? 
It's not. I wouldn't say it's quite in that realm. You okay. might be. Uh, uh, oh, there is a game that came out that it was iterating on uh, uh, Disco Elysium. That's really good. Uh, the which the the name of that particular game is like. Right, I'm, my brain. I'm conflating though. So tell me what yeah. the, the it's eleven bit though, right? Publisher. That's, all, that's the only reason I saw it because they they're Frostpunk. I think I know yes. it's the publisher, not the Lots developer. But cool that's stuff. why I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. They're Frostpunk. Um, they uh and the thaumaturge is uh it's basically it is an isometric rpg it's very story heavy um it's set in uh in eastern europe in 1905 uh uh the main character is this polish thaumaturge and it it has vibes i think one of the times i was on the show here do you guys remember me talking about a game called black book which was sort yeah. of like late 1800s witchcraft thing. This is yeah. akin to that in some way, setting wise. It's a, uh, it's got this this Eastern European Russian setting at a very uh, politically tumultuous time. It does feature uh, political figures, like actual historical figures in it, but has this kind of supernatural underworld uh, with these beings called uh, saluters who are basically like demonic Pokemon style <laughs> things that you can, you can sort of recruit as allies. It's got a turn-based uh, combat type of system and plenty of vibes. I think if you go to the trailers, you'll, you'll see the vibes and you'll, you'll get a very good sense for what the Thaumaturge is. It um, looks great. Visually, it looks really good, um, which is it's cool. And it, it's, I mean, these are my feelings, having not played or to have any preview to it. It has weight to it, I feel like. Sometimes isometric games, and I haven't played it, so I don't know how it feels in the hand, but sometimes I feel like in the isometric game, it will feel like your character skating over something. And at least by the, the trailer, it looks like you're not in the muck, but in the thick of it. It looks like the characters have weight and presence, which looks really cool. Oh, it's very, um, I will say vibe-wise, it is very like you have this cough that you can't shake type of not, not literally but like the feeling <laughs> yeah. is like oh, i'm slightly sick and maybe I'm, I'm a little bit hung over and i'm not feeling well and i'm out in the rain and i'm it has that that these vibes are it's very like there's a lot of uh stuff that you're just dealing with and you're uh in this game and, and the the main character is the titular thaumaturge who can see things about people that other you know that other people can't see and has some supernatural powers it's a uh um it's a, it's a, I, I think, you know, if any of these types of feelings and vibes are something that's interesting to you, it's coming out on March 4th. That's what I'll say about the Thaumaturge. Um, and I, I always think it's important when you have, and this is going to come up with some of the other games I'm going to talk about. When you have a game that's not your big triple A marquee release, I always think, Putting it on the wish list is helpful to people. If you do get it, re- reading, uh, uh, writing a review, uh, leaving comments are very helpful to get word out about uh, things that you find uh, artistically compelling. Um, and uh, I'm going to pivot now over to something else that I've been playing. And let me uh, let me save the one that Jeff and I are both playing because that's that'll be good for us to talk about. And let me instead talk about. Uh, astral ascent have either of you played astral ascent or or had anybody on who's talked about this game at all no i don't think so okay so astral ascent uh do you guys you guys like hades right Uh, i'm not familiar with that game do you like uh how about dead cells 
Yes, we love dead cells. So here's what I'm going to say about astral ascent, and this is this is going to sound like a pretty big thing, but you know, I, I I back this up. Astral ascent is a game that is good enough to be in conversation with both of those games. Ooh. Um, it is, it, it has the, this Haiti style roguelike, but it's, it's, it moves more of in a, uh, side scrolling 2d way, the way that, uh, uh, dead cells might move. Um, it, I will say that it narratively, it does not like where Hades will set itself apart from and dead cells is, is narratively like astral scent. It's fun. It has fun characters. The, the basic premise is you are playing one of four characters who are trying to escape from this prison and the prison is guarded by these beings called Zodiacs. And they are the Zodiacs of Aries, Pisces, Cancer, Taurus, et cetera, like all the actual Zodiacs. And there's some fun characterizations in there of it. But the real star of Astral Ascent is the gameplay. And I think the first hour you play it's a little bit like oh my god there's so much stuff in this game what is even happening how is it even working but then as soon as you're past that it is some of the most impressive gameplay i've seen for a roguelike game and on top of it the co-op in this game is tremendous it's a terrific couch co-op game and Hmm. i think that that's particularly notable because if you've played these types of games before then you know that a lot of it is about how balanced the builds are right like you're moving through these levels and you're you're kind of building what your character can do by finding synergy amongst all the different powers you can get and astral ascent gives you a lot of knobs and whistles to play with uh, that you'll eventually uh, be able to work into your character. So you really have to kind of have this working vocabulary of all the powers that are available, as which you learn as you play it. But that's a delicate balance, right? You're going through something, and if you've got two people, you need twice as much damage output that you, you, you could put out on the on the screen. And how do you handle who gets what kind of powers? And is are there negotiations? And they've just mm-hmm. handled it so beautifully. Like the balance of when the game turns from one player to two player is really noteworthy. And I think if you're, it was, so I, when I got this initially, I I learned about it from uh, Andrew on gamers with jobs, who was raving about it and he was absolutely right. And I got it and I was playing it solo and it was starting to click for me. And my wife saw me playing it. This is not the type of game uh, that she gravitates towards. She is more of a strategy turn-based style in her games of choice. And she saw that this was co-op and was like, uh, I had it on switch initially. And she's like, can we get that on PS five and just co-op that together? And it's been tremendous. It was like the perfect thing Mm. for us to do co-op after Baldur's gate. It really like, it it, it has been like the, the go-to game in this house. Um, It's, I I I, uh, I almost can't say enough good things about the the actual gameplay, and for as messy mm. as the writing is, and just kind of all over the place, and there is certainly uh, a lot of characters in it, and a lot of like little backstories that are available if people want to look at that stuff and like are might be interested in it. I think there's some interesting and fun stuff there, but generally, it's like you'll see the art style of this game; it's beautiful pixel art. Um, and the gameplay is just really great. And once you start to speak its language, it's it's I this is where I say it's up there with Dead Cells and Hades and worth having you know, good enough to be in the conversation with them. Maybe not good enough to surpass them, but certainly good enough to be in the conversation with them. And certainly one of the best couch co-op 
games I've ever played, particularly in the roguelike genre. So that's wow. that's my that's my my pitch on Astral Ascent. I I really think it's worth people checking out. Um, Very cool. And our so friends like- at uh, into the Aether, Brendan uh, was really into this game last year. There's, I was like, when you talk about it, Rich, I was like, have I played it? No, I've listened to other people talk about playing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and I've heard it's great on Switch too. I know you mentioned getting it on PS5, but I've heard it plays really, great really on, well. I on have Switch it on both. That it's I double yeah, dipped on awesome. it because I was playing it's, it solo uh, on uh, on Switch, and I, I fl- the other thing that's really great about it, they've got four different characters, and the characters all work very differently and have their own kind of spell list and their own set of powers. But there's also some shared powers, so there's like a lot of really interesting things going on for what style of game you want to play and what kind of player you are and which character you can gravitate toward and you can change up their appearance and things like that. There's a lot of like fun stuff with it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Astral sense of a gem and I feel like not enough people talk about it. Um, so I wanted to flag that it came out late last year. They're still putting out content. They recently put out a whole new, set of spells for all the characters they just like deposited a whole new spell list into people so it's the developers seem really responsive it runs buttery smooth no problems whatsoever terrific game 20 bucks on steam right now it looks like yeah Uh, and and just looking at the videos it looks like it's kind of both of our jams christian's got that roguelite stuff for me and it looks like a lot of uh side scrolling uh precision platforming for you um, so, yeah, if you were going to do a Venn, really a Venn diagram thing, I feel like the three of us, this, this would be right in the middle of it, right? <laughs> like this is yeah. like touching cool. on something that I think all three of us particularly uh, are uh, interested in. Um, I oh, also yeah. want to touch on another little hidden gem uh, that I think currently has under uh, criminally, I think has under 100 reviews uh in steam it's in early access it's about to come out of early access and that's ludus mortis um and ludus mortis is a dungeon crawling rpg so you know you know what you're doing here you are rolling up some 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 adventurers and you're you're sending them out into a dungeon to fight monsters and get some treasure um the premise for Ludus Mortis is that the, uh, the, the senators of Rome uh, to fight the tyrannical uh, Roman emperor uh, resorted to necromancy, which, as we all know, works well and had no problems except for, you know, all the plan. demons and undead. So now you've, you've got this gladiator school, a Ludus, which is Ludus Mortis is this gladiator school that is specializing in fighting the dead. So you are uh, rolling up a a gladiator company and you're improving your facilities and uh, changing the types of things that you'll have access to. And it has a lot of really fun iterations on the genre. Um, Dungeon RPGs are a particular favorite uh, genre of mine. It's It's a genre that I have been returning to quite a bit right now i'm thinking about doing on gamers with jobs a series that we'd like to do coming up is doing a month where everybody talks about one of their favorite genres and brings in somebody who's either worked on one of those games or is also like a huge uh aficionado of the genre and and just like really diving deep on like what is interesting about this genre like what what makes the dungeon rpg interesting what are the design challenges in it 
And I think Ludus Mortis has a lot of interesting answers to to the the design challenges. Um, Just to be clear f- for folks, this is like a first person kind of Ultima Underworld or the old Bard's Tale or Wizardry games, where you know you're you're a party, but you are in a first person kind of grid based step forward, and it's one square forward in the dungeon, kind of old school '80s CRPG, right? Yeah, absolutely. 100% in that in that category, you are you are moving one turn at a time, you will encounter um, monsters will pop up on the screen and you'll you know, you have your 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 group has to has to fight them and you have your front row and your back row and like the really the way you manage your rows is important and the different powers that people can have. Uh, There's a lot of they have 14 different classes in this that are all interested like really interesting and what i found that was especially delightful about ludus mortis as a modern drpg is that they they let you do the old school rolling and it's really interesting because they set up the stats where yes you know you want your fighter to have a high strength but the other stats are also really interesting for other characters and can create some pretty wild combinations like i ended up with a spellcaster who happened to be pretty decent with a bow because they just got the right, uh, like the right stack combinations. Like, Oh, that's interesting. And he, there's enough, uh, like this way, this will let this, this spellcaster reserve their mana a little bit and, and be able to last a little bit longer. Uh, it does a really good job with risk reward. You can change the encounter rate of any dungeon you're in. So you're getting a lot of encounters and, and uh, or you can make it so that you have less and it, it kind of simulates that uh, going in loud or going in quiet experience that you can get in a like on a tabletop RPG. Right. Are we sneaking through this dungeon or are we just going to go in there and fight all the monsters? And the more monsters that you fight when you win consecutive battles, you get uh, an experience modifier for the next battle. So you're incentivized to fight a lot. And your experience will go, but then you have a limited amount of resources. You, you, your potions uh, act like Estus flasks for the characters. So once you run out of heals, you're, you're out of heals, right? <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. gonna, that's gonna affect how long you stay in the dungeon. And like, do you press on or do you retreat? If you retreat before fulfilling uh, the the goal of whatever the mission is, then you're going to take an experience. You're going to take a a penalty to the stuff that you've accrued while in the dungeon. So it's there's some really interesting stuff going on here. It's early access. It seems to have a really responsive dev. I put up a comment because there was something that I was uh, I was perplexed by in the design, and they, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to handle that. And we're going to fix that. So that's a uh, Ludus Mortis, fascinating game. Um, and, uh, also not, not a lot of people have seen it. So if you're into dungeon RPGs, uh, DRPGs, then, uh, check that out. Um, Very cool. I am going to, I'm going to speed through some more <laughs> here cause I, I come in with a lot of stuff because, uh, uh, speaking of Ultima, um, have you guys heard of Moonring at all? I have not, but you said Ultima, so now I'm excited to hear about this game. Yeah. Moonring is uh, Ultima circa, circa Ultima Four and Ultima Five specifically is is its inspiration point. And guess what, everybody? It's free. Oh, I have seen this. It's I'm sorry. Free. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, it's it's terrific. It's uh it's completely free. It was made by Dean Carter, who is one of the collaborators on Fable. 
Um, he came by for an interview on Gamers with Jobs. Totally worth checking out if you want to get some more information about Moonring. I'm going to point you to our feed. Look at our that interview we have with uh, Dean Carter. He was terrific to talk to. Um, Moonring is incredible. It has a beautiful design. Like I said, it, it looks like Ultima 4, Ultima 5, but it's really, yeah. uh, it also has this uh, roguelike layer to it because you you have the overworld map and that's all set. But when you go into dungeons, it's random. Like it has that, that, that rogue quality, that rogue quality to the dungeoneering in it, which is really fascinating and uh, a whole lot of fun. It features a fantasy world that is utterly singular. I have not seen a world like this, and it is a game that is very practiced in restraint. When you mm. play Moonring, you are discovering all sorts of wild things about the world, about the way the gods work in the world, even like things like magic, like the game, you don't really know how that's going to work. And then when you find out it's, it's delightful. It's a truly mm. delightful and surprising um game and if you if you're somebody who grew up on Ultima's I think it's particularly that era of Ultima right like the Ultima 4 Ultima 5 yeah I think this is going to hit your nostalgia vibes real hard terrific music too um really dig Moonring and it's free so it's like you also the only thing it costs you to try it is your time so it's can't yeah. can't uh, can't ask for anything better than that um I think now we should uh, we should probably pivot to Ultros. Um, yeah, I, I I think I installed Moonring and never started it. I think if somebody told me about this and I installed it. And I think it just got lost in my library and I never have tried it. And now I'm going to, oh my God. to try it. You you need uh, to try this. You of all yeah, people, Jeff. So funny. It's, I know. It's just totally it's, made for me. And it's like you said, it's free. I think I just installed it and forgot. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk about Ultros because uh, you and I have both been playing Ultros. Uh, Christian, do you know about this game? This feels like a game you would be aware of and know. It's uh, Metroidvania. Yeah, I think we might have talked about it after it was at a state of play. It was shown somewhere and we were blown away by its psychedelic, you know, uh, black light poster uh, aesthetic, totally. so to speak. But I have not played it, so I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, psychedelic is the word for, yes. the, for the visuals of Ultros. It, it is a, a, um, a sort of classic uh, Metroidvania side-scrolling two-dimensional um, um, action platformer. Uh, but visually looks like nothing you've ever seen before. I mean, it is really just wild how far they push the visual elements. The the, the backgrounds are are really busy and and uh, crazy, and and the the creatures are all bizarre and kind of non standard. Just just wild ideas behind things. The character model is strange. Everything just looks. Really, it's got this almost kind of cyberpunky mixed with kind of a uh, um, oh, what's the guy Existence? The, who's the director of Existence? You know, like that kind of like bio uh, body horror kind of weird. Uh, it, it's cool. It's got a cool look to it. I think yeah, very striking. I, it's got that like biomechanical, like the ship that you're in is called the sarcophagus and it's, yeah. it's uh, all biomechanical and it's, yeah, it's a really, uh, I think Metroidvanias are of course a, or Castlevanioids for those of you who prefer them that way, I think are, are, there's a risk I think with them that there's a lot of, it is 
very tired ground right now. So the thing that I've been responding to in Ultros is that it's doing something very different with some of those core gameplay elements and then adding its own weird twists. Like I love the fact that this is a game about like eating weird critters and plants and that is how you level up and getting like different nutrients to unlock different powers it's totally and then like that's also the healing mechanic it's totally wild uh yeah it's interesting so so just to be clear for folks that may not be uh, aware of this game the, the you are slicing away at baddies and uh, these little critters you you can attack them in a variety of ways you have kind of a cool uh dash that lets you kind of dash through the enemy and then and then that kind of um it combos right into this like follow-up attack with a different button on your controller. And you've got a variety of different things to do. And the game really wants you to mix up your attacks and do things in a, uh, you know, not just spam the same button, but really kind of craft your attacks and try not to repeat any one attack against an enemy. And if you manage to do that, you will destroy it in such a way that it leaves behind a pristine bit of goop, some sort of <laughs> remnant, little body element that comes off of these creatures. But if you if you just spam the, the light attack button, you can defeat the enemy, but it'll give you uh, a piece of loot that is damaged or, or broken in some way way it'll it'll drop like a spleen you know or or some (laughs) some bits of awful that uh are not uh ideal and so they will you can eat them and it'll heal you uh you can also use the same bits that fall off the creatures to level up there are these save points that allow you to eat different nutrients that fill in certain stats that once they've hit a certain threshold, let you level up and put points in this cool skill tree. So it's I think it's a really neat push and pull in that the same thing that is basically a health potion is the same currency that lets you level up. So there's this kind of like, oh, do I want to, you know, gobble up this bit of goop that fell off this monster now? Or do I want to wait and use this later to be able to level myself up? I think that's kind of a neat uh neat push and pull and for an extra and also the fact sorry go ahead oh yeah for just like an extra fun twist on that is this game also has gardening elements where you can find different seeds and grow different psychedelic plants and then eat them and they'll have different effects and they can also replace the monster nutrients like some of the powers are that you can unlock are like stealth powers you could totally play ultros in a pacifist style if you wanted i like you could just grow your food and <laughs> kind of move through the I don't world know, completely i think you still have to beat the bosses but yes yeah i mean i think it's uh i think the bosses are where everything kind of like they set aside like okay you just smack the boss however you want to smack them and that's fine <laughs> anyway it, but yes it is really interesting there is this kind of there's these patches of land that let you grow things and that can open up new traversal uh elements in the map and stuff like that I was super into this game up until I die. I didn't die up until I got to a certain story beat and everything reset because this game also has an element of something that's also very much in vogue right now, which is that groundhog day, one day repeating thing. It's got some roguelike elements to it, which, Hey, I'm Mr. Roguelike. I love a roguelike. 
Unfortunately, the way it's executed here really turned me off from the game because what it does is it's not that when I die, basically the game starts, you wake up on a spaceship. You don't know how you got there. You're trying to figure it out, right? You go, 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 go. And at a certain point, it, it starts over and you wake up again on the ship. And I was like, oh, cool. Lots of games have used this as a way to justify when I die, I get reborn and I have to, you know, I, I, this roguelite stuff. Well, that's not exactly what Ultros is doing. Ultros says when you die, you respawn at a save point. So it's not that. But when you get to a certain story point, you get reborn and you've lost everything you've done. Everything. All the upgrades you've done, all of the new skills that you acquired, even your little robot friend that like gives you double jump and things that are very, very necessary. Um, and you have to reacquire those things in the, in the next run. And there are certain shortcuts that get introduced, but I, it really turned me off because every time that happened, I was like, ugh, I do not want to do this. I don't want to lose my double jump, lose, uh, you know, other traversal things that I've really gotten used to and like, and I earned on all the things that I got that I liked. I, and there are sometimes it's like, uh, even to go pick up my friend, my little robot friend who gives me a lot of these things back is a chore. And it felt to me like a chore. And it made me really turn off to what, uh, to a game that I was really digging, but it sounds like you didn't have that problem. Yeah. I, I think I, enjoy i i just don't get that feeling very often in games and a lot of it is is your generally speaking your the the power curve is like number go up right like that's that's the thing and i found it interesting for this game the way that they would handle that that they made this choice like it feels very deliberate and from like a design perspective, I think it's a challenging choice and I think it's going to make it difficult for, for some people to, to push through because it's just not what we're used to, but I don't necessarily think it's bad. I think a lot of times it's very easy when we're not used to uh, a, a, t a game design decision um, because it's just not in vogue for a variety of perfectly reasonable reasons uh, to be like, Oh, I, I, this is, this is what, what are they doing here? I'm going to turn it down. But I actually think there, there's something to that discomfort and uh, in that pushback from the game that I think is worth checking out. Um, I would say that if you are somebody who's interested, interested in Metroidvanias, I think Ultros is doing something very different. And this is what I meant when I kind of hinted at that earlier, um, because it, it, it is, it is a, uh, uh it is playing with something here and I'm not far enough into it yet to totally see how that comes together, but there's enough that it's done right. And it's so pretty to look at that. I, 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 I'm willing to, it's the type of thing where I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can pull that together and make that a, an overall satisfying experience, even though that is going to be a hard beat to, to, I think for a lot of people to uh, navigate in the moment. So, but now you know that it's coming, listeners. Yeah. So sorry for the yeah. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I th I don't think. I mean, it it, it comes fairly Pretty quickly quick, and yeah. and uh, repeatedly, many many times. But I do I do agree with you that it is gorgeous to look at and really stands out in that way. And I think even just like it's more zoomed in than you usually are 
yes like your character is larger than you usually are in these types of games like everything feels different in it and i think in that sense i really respect it a lot it is going for something different it feels like that drug trip like it really does like like the zooming in contributes to that and it's also like the pace at which you walk the long the the more you start walking forward like you speed up a little bit and there's just some really interesting rhythmic choices with how everything moves uh and where the camera is that i i just really appreciate because i I don't see people take those types of swings generally i think the animation is beautiful i think lana would really love looking at this game as well as as an animator it is you know it is it's goopy you know it's a goopy game in 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 like the best possible way you know everything is kind of slimy and gross and everything you know you smack stuff and it kind of explodes and in splatters everywhere and and it's not blood per se but it's just like alien muck you know and and uh there's a it's very satisfying everything you know feels like it's sticky it's uh it's an impressive art direction i think for ultros I just was frustrated a bit by being constantly thrown back to, to, to ground zero and being like, I gotta, I gotta go fetch my stuff that I already earned, you know? (laughs) Anyway, there you go. Uh, Rich is a very cool eclectic list. This is why I love having you on the show, Rich. It's, it's such an awesome uh, group of games that you have uh, brought to our attention. Most of which we had not spoken about at all on the show and uh, really, really love that. Uh, One game, we have spoken a lot about Christian. I know is on your uh, playlist this week because I was playing it a lot with you. <laughs> we played a lot of Helldivers too. Folks can watch a Let's Play of you, Lana, and myself playing it over on the Patreon. We did it's a, <laughs> because we decided to do it. We had a prompt up for a um, paid DLC that was like, "Do we plan stuff? Do folks plan stuff, or do you kind of just do stuff on a whim?" And we got some great responses. And kind of using that as our excuse and also because it was Valentine's Day, we decided we were going to do something on a whim and do our paid DLC episode as a let's play of the three of us playing Helldivers, which there is the VOD on the Patreon. But we also released just the audio version of it, <laughs> which is a trip. Which a number of people have said was a delight to listen to. Yeah, I don't some know people, how that's possible. Some people but. loved it. We, we also got some feedback that was like, hey, I love you all. But as an audio only listener, nah, dog, yeah, which I totally – Understand. Theater of the mind. It was theater of the mind. <laughs> yeah, we like to call yeah. it. You could hear the sound effects of hell divers and long bouts of silence, and then us going, "Hey, what? You shot me!" <laughs> theater of the mind. <laughs> I uh, I still love hell divers too. I it, there have been more um, connection errors. I think there was an error thrown up. It was like our servers are full. We are so sorry, y'all. Let me, uh, message that came up. Actually, but, Christian, let me let me read us an email. Because we got oh, an email to this effect. Cute. Yeah, we got an email to this effect. And I think to be fair, because you and I, we love this game. We've been singing its praises. A lot of people have loved it. But you were correct to bring up some of those issues. And I want to read an email that we got. This comes from Zach, who sent this email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Zach says, I bought the $60 edition of Helldivers 2 on PC on Friday. It is now Sunday morning. Because the servers have been at capacity, I haven't been able to log into the game for a single moment. No tutorial, no nothing. I've not even made it to the menu screen. It's frustrating because I love the first Helldivers and I really wanted to support this developer. But I've never had this happen before. I wish the developer could have had included an offline mode so that the game is not completely locked out 
of uh, at, I'm not completely locked out at server capacity, but no dice. Let me at least play a tutorial or single player would have been ideal if the servers weren't having issues. I keep telling myself to be patient, but I've never had this happen where I bought a game that is completely inaccessible 10 days after launch, a victim of its own popularity. Some of my friends have had better luck getting into the game. Some swear by staying queued for as long as it takes, while others swear by restarting the game to get in. I've not had luck with either. I guess I'll be patient, but it sucks. The FOMO is real. So I just wanted to respect uh, the fact that people are having that that yeah. situation. I, you know, this is a holiday weekend here in the United States. It's President's Day weekend, so a lot of people, I think are hunkering down and, and playing video games, which, you know, more power to them, but that that's causing some problems for Helldivers too at the moment. Uh, we have been fortunate to be able to play at weird times. Uh, so I, I haven't really experienced any cues, but I know this weekend it has, it has gotten bad. So I just wanted to throw that out there because Zach is having that issue. And to be fair, you know, that does suck. It does suck. It- it does suck. I, and I feel for the devs. They've been pretty vocal about it yeah. saying, you know, we had no idea. Not that we had no idea, but this exceeded wildest expectations. It's Sony's most concurrent played game on PC. I think having the PC release was huge for them. Also coming out this year, I think it's right time, right place. It's it's a really good game. I don't want to say last year it would have floundered, but I think it's a lot of right time, right place. Having that PC day one, I think is huge. But the devs have been uh, public about saying we're hiring. <laughs> we are hiring more people. We're ramping up servers. We're doing our best. And I, I feel for them because we, on this show, we are big fans of not crunching. And sometimes even when a game comes out, developers still suffer from crunch. And oh, so yeah. certainly in my this situation, yeah. hats off to the devs. And well, um, another thing, Christian, that they, that they mentioned this week, the devs, which I find pretty exciting as somebody who's digging this game a lot is basically their entire roadmap that they had in mind has been completely rewritten or they're in the process of rewriting. They're like, we had a roadmap of the stuff we wanted to do. The success of this game means that we have re thought the roadmap completely and we're trying all kinds of new stuff. So I think that's pretty cool, but it also means, man, a, a bit of chaos over there. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. super fun game. I mean, you can get super in. Super fun game. I want to mention two other retro replays, and I do want to carve out a little bit of a VR talk specifically for you, Jeff, but also mm. for our listeners, um, something that I've been spending some time with in VR. But the two retro replays I want to hit on real quick, um, Halo Reach, I bought, it was on sale on Steam for $10 for the Master Chief Collection, I believe. I bought the whole Master Chief Collection. It runs great on Switch. Multiplayer stuff. I'm on Switch. <laughs> it's on Switch now? Oh, Xbox <laughs> is over. On Steam Deck. On Steam Deck. It runs great on Steam Deck. And the reason I want to highlight it is I think while the first game in the story arc of Halo, the last game, I believe, of Bungie's run of Halo I think last, maybe three, I don't know, around their last. Phenomenal use of enemy encounter, like kill boxes, story moments, and rest. And the Bungie-developed Halo games were always renowned for their sandbox style of gameplay moments and having these bombastic kind of figure-it-out-your-way moments. And I think what they achieved in Halo Reach is really a master class of bringing some of that more cinematic storytelling elements to it where you are a member of this squad of Spartans, but still retaining those playground style 
kill environment, shoot them up areas, and then resting those moments and making you hungry for more. Absolutely phenomenal game that holds up to this day. If you haven't played it, I think it's worth playing from an understanding of the industry aspect of of what the first person shooter genre has become and evolved from and two it is a little weird to not have left trigger right trigger like i almost have a hard time balancing my steam deck because i'm not you don't aim down the scopes the same way it has its own halo-esque control still before they shifted in uh infinite or whatever that shift happened but halo reach phenomenal game the other game that is very much kind of in line with this of me looking at and maybe i'm teasing season three feeling this stuff. Alex, I haven't reached out to you yet, but maybe I am. Maybe I'm already teasing season three feeling this conversations is uh, Batman Arkham Knight. I love the Arkham games. I went back and started replaying all of them. Some of them work well on Steam Deck. Some don't. Arkham Knight, I'm actually playing on PC because uh, I got it free on Epic Game Store at some point. And I think it's really interesting to look at this game, Jeff, based on our conversation surrounding Spider-Man 2 and similar to how I talked about Halo Reach and having its shoot 'em up environments and then resting that core gameplay loop and how it makes you hungry for more. I feel like Arkham Knight, when even when it came out, was one of the first games where the discourse around it was the Batmobile stinks. <laughs> like we understand why the Batmobile is perhaps in the game, but I don't want to do that. Let me just Batman. And our conversation around Spider-Man 2, a lot of that was about, we like the emotional through line of some of these side missions, perhaps, and we like the stories they're telling, but also, let me Spider-Man, you know, let me not, don't take me out of the core idea of that hero fantasy. And I think it's really fascinating what Batman Arkham Knight tried to do while retaining that hero fantasy and doing something that perhaps Batman does do, is zoom around in a Batmobile and take things out but in a way that didn't feel satisfying to players of that franchise. And so to our community, as much as to you, Rich, uh, or Jeff, is this idea of what do we want in these games? Would it be better if it was just eight hours and it was just Batman, 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 Batman? Or is there a way that is satisfying to rest that core gameplay loop? And what do we want that to be? Because I feel like now in the middle of this PS5 Xbox series generation, I think we're still struggling with that. I think we still see games struggle with that idea of here's this core gameplay loop. But if we only have the game be that for 20 hours or whatever we feel like the game quote needs to be, it gets exhausting. But we also don't know what this other stuff should be. So replaying, I'm probably 70% through Arkham Knight now again. And it's been really interesting to see just how much Batmobile is in it. It's a lot of Batmobile. It's a lot of Batmobile. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very interesting that you're doing that, uh, going back and checking those out. Uh, so that's what's on Christian's playlist. I have also uh, played a lot of Helldivers 2 and Ultras we talked about. I want to talk uh, about a game I mentioned when the demo hit as having getting its uh, getting its claws into me. I'm, I'm curious, Rich, have you heard of or played Bellatro? I've, I feel like I've heard this name come up. Maybe I actually heard you talk about it at one point. Uh, it's possible. possible. I did uh, talk at length about it because this game is crack. Uh, this one, I think, might be one you might want to introduce to your wife. Or maybe you don't if you ever want to see her again. <laughs> um, but you said she likes the turn-based type, type of stuff. Um, Bellatro, is, and this could be a turnoff for some, Bellatro is based loosely around uh, poker the po poker hands. 
So oh, for some, I, I tried to introduce my friend uh, Anthony Carboni to this because I felt like he would love it. He's like, I don't care about poker. I don't want to play a poker game. I'm like, okay, fair. That's a fair point. If you're not into poker, it's not poker, but you kind of have to enjoy at least the aesthetic of poker. And honestly, it has a, a sort of a uh, sort of a uh, cheesy Vegas slot machine aesthetic to it, which I find very charming. It's all pixel art. Single person developed this game, by the way. One human made Bellatro, uh, every part of it, my understanding. Um, but this is an extremely addictive game for me and people like me <laughs> because uh, the thing I love about video games in general, but specifically uh, turn-based games, is juicy decisions, like great decisions, right? You want to find wonderful decisions. And Bellatro is just a waterfall it is drinking from this fire hose of decisions you just have so many options at your disposal all the time of really cool things you could do now how do you play bellaccio okay bellaccio is basically make a rad poker hand score points that's the entire game you are you are uh, having you you face basically kind of opponents or bosses. You know, th- there's steps to a boss, and each time you are facing off against a minimum point value you have to achieve in a certain number of hands. And you have a bunch of cards that come up, and you can make poker hands out of them. You can make a pair. You can make two pair. You can make a full house. You can make straight any poker hand, right? And you have a number of ways that you can sort of manipulate the point values of those hands. You can discard cards and draw new ones to try to facilitate the poker hand you're looking at. But the most interesting thing you're doing is you're working with a number of jokers. There are these jokers that you can acquire and equip that will then give you all kinds of wacky things. There's 150 different jokers in the game. And it works like a roguelite in that you're doing these runs. How far can you go? How long can you last on a run? How how many times can you face off against an opponent by getting the minimum score and keep going? And as you do that, you accrue more and more of these jokers that allow you to manipulate your point values in interesting ways, add multipliers, or do kinds of wacky, crazy things where, you know, if you have hearts in your hand, those score way higher. I mean, there's 150 of them. So there's just tons Does one of, of them tell you that we live in a society? We, yes, the Joker. That is the Joker. Yes. Um, also, I mean, I don't even need to tell you. There's a million things you can do. You can open packs that let you manipulate the actual cards in your hand. You can change the style of cards. You can uh, turn cards into stone and glass and all kinds of cool, weird things you can do. You can also decide to just skip a battle entirely and take this bonus. Like if you skip a battle, usually in games, it would be like, if you skip a battle, you'd get a penalty, but you didn't have to make that battle. In Bellatro, if you skip a battle, you get something cool. You get an awesome thing. So you're tempted to skip the battle. But if you skip the battle, you won't get the cool reward at the end of the battle, which is money that you can then spend to upgrade your stuff. So you're kind of like, well, is this cool upgrade for skipping the battle better than what I would be able to buy with the money if I succeed at the battle? Am I like screwing myself by pushing things off farther, getting closer to that boss battle faster 
there's like there's so many awesome choices to be made all the time and you're just constantly do i do i try to get do i get this hand now my my total number of hands is dwindling hmm what do i do do i do i discard i only have a i have a finite number of discard opportunities as well do i use a discard to try to hope that i draw the card that'll give me that sick straight flush that i'm looking for you know all of these cool decisions upon decisions upon decisions but then how do i build my deck which jokers do i have in play do i do a a hand that actually procs one of these cool jokers that lets me do this other thing it's just like pure concentrated decision making and 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 compulsion <laughs> it's very very good game it's called Bellatro. it's come out of early access it is in full release now i so cannot recommend it to anybody that looks, wants to have free time i uh in, in case anybody who who was watching the live stream saw me jump suddenly it's because I, I did go to take a peek at this game and then for some reason like this my steam volume came on at full blast so i was suddenly <laughs> hearing the music that it startled me but it looks really neat and it does look like yeah. the type of thing that i would find incredibly addictive so i this it might be that. a uh when my, my when this little uh one act festival that i'm in ends then then maybe i can uh uh give this a check this out because i it's hard to see like seeing you get passionate about poker mechanics uh i know it's weird is, is making me like, okay, well that, that gives me pause. <laughs> you know, like, it's that, weird. That's... It's it, it to look at the game. You go like, what's so special about this? But if you play it, it will eat your hours. I can kind of feel it. You know, hours. you know, like you ever just yeah. look at something and I'm like, Ooh, I, I can, I look, I look at this. It doesn't look like anything, but I feel, I feel yeah. the hours that will be eaten. You know, like it's it just has pure that, mechanics. It's like, just on... it is, it is distilled to its base purity it's it's beautiful Bellatro is the name of the game all right for folks all- who are listening to this right when it came out right when it comes out on steam it says Bellatro comes out february 20th so you might have a few hours to wait oh, forgive me i got a code it. but i believe it is yeah it is, it is leaving early access imminent yes. yes yes it's all leaving right. early access when my play opens so there come and see my play <laughs> or go play Bellatro's. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a, that sounds like an evening. One two punch. Right? Yeah. They come home to Bellatro. Uh all right. Um we're already super long, but I know we want to do a couple of other things. Christian has a VR game to talk about, so let's get into it. Hit me, Christian. So it's less of a game and more of a mod for my PSVR2 headset, which maybe Ooh. I finally did. Because I didn't buy an Apple Vision Pro and I don't have a Quest 3 and the PSVR 2 is the best headset that I have. And I love I love this headset. And so I had been reading about the global, Globular Cluster CMP2 for a while on Gesundheit. Reddit. And thank you. <laughs> and other forums talking about making the PSVR 2 more comfortable. PSVR 1, perhaps the most comfortable headset I've ever worn. PSVR 2 not uh the most comfortable (laughs) headset i've ever worn and so i was a little gun shy to pick this up because it requires you using one of those plastic you know kind of screwdriver wedge things and unclipping the stock headset from your psvr2 can i grab this let me see if i can got it um it's on a cord will it make it it is so it adds a, a much bigger 
back pad piece to this PSVR 2 headset. Much bigger back. And then also you have different fronts and it has center weight, uh, a top strap as well. Looks maybe a little more dorky. But I mean, holy. I'm surprised at how moly. many goggly eyes he has on that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's the most comfortable headset I've ever worn now. It is wow. incredible. I have my racing wheel is usually kind of tucked away in a corner. It has just been living out here in my office now because I have been using my PSVR 2 nonstop wow. for long stretches of time. I'm secretly just doing time trials on Willow Springs and Gran Turismo 7 because that's the next track day I plan to, to do in real life. And I've never been able to do the virtual version of a track that I actually get to drive a real car on. And now I'm like, I know it's not one-to-one, but I'm going to memorize all these turns and I'm going to do this thing and I can stay in the headset for hours without discomfort. It is mind-blowing. I How do much not is want this to- globular cluster? I think it was, I bought it for like 40 bucks on Amazon or something like that. It's like 40 to 50 bucks. I did it in maybe five minutes. It took to pry the old thing off and put the new thing on night and day. And even somehow it sits better on my face. So it keeps it in the sweet spot better, which is very small in the PSVR too. But the light seals also get closer to my face where it is virtually, you know, perfect. I cannot recommend it enough. The globular cluster cmp2 which i think is the second revision of this rolls thing. off the tongue i one of the it things does not uh, but i think it's a must buy when i hear something called a glob something like a globular cluster <laughs> and i think if I, I picked one of those up in ultros <laughs> yeah you pick one of those up in ultros, you have to eat the right kind of animals and then you, <laughs> yeah. you, you get yeah. a globular cluster this yeah. is like one of those things that just makes me wish uh uh time travel was possible so that you could travel back in time and see yourself as a child and be like kid globular cluster and then disappear and then you'll be like haunted by that for your entire life until you find it you're like oh <laughs> there were so My many kids- other more important things i was that happened to me but it's weird that i did this to myself and pranked me in this way kid me kid me would have assumed that was a breakfast cereal oh globular like, clusters I that sounds delicious back- I could go back in time and tell myself either about virtual reality or a mo- comfort mod for my headset. And yes, I choose. Exactly it's not worth owning a PSVR so 2 without a globular cluster. Just tell me to buy Apple stock, you idiot. <laughs> no, buy this comfort <laughs> mod instead. <laughs> if, if you're still using your PSVR 2 regularly, Jeff, or dear listener, I truly think it is a must buy. It's, it's I, the best money I've spent. Can I tell you something? totally straight up i i use my psvr2 the least because of how uncomfortable it is honestly yeah. it it hurts my nose at this point and and to be fair i put in the uh in, i bought third party uh, inserts for glasses and i know that has added weight and so it's not entirely the psvr2's fault but oh this is even more I, required than it should sh- cluster this bad boy up it's going to help uh, I, I I would be willing to guarantee it, Jeff. I, if okay. it, look, if you put put this on and you don't, it doesn't make it significantly more comfortable for you. Just say Rich sent me, and Rich will buy you an Xbox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the globular guarantee. <laughs> uh, very cool globular cluster CMP two. I'm gonna buy one. I'm gonna buy one. Um, all right. I, I also I know we're already long, Rich. I I appreciate you hanging out with us. I know you're probably exhausted but i need to hear about this tabletop game and as we know the people have been chanting the tabletop time uh, we can't we cannot disappoint the people we cannot here it comes (laughs) 
I saw this on the our little rundown here, and I googled it, and I I may be purchasing this. So you got to tell me, should I purchase uh, yes. this game? Uh, also, okay. uh, the creator of this game, uh, Will Pe- uh, Will Petrie, was on our show and was just a delightful human being to talk to. So, Social Alchemix uh, is this game here, and Will's background is as a bartender and mixologist. So he's sort of brought a little bit of that to what is essentially a very simple social game with a a series of uh kind of alchemical symbols and you line them up and that leads you to a page and it lets you ask a question of the people that you're with and uh the the idea is you're supposed to have these cocktails or whatever if you don't drink you can you know have some sort of delightful thing to like you know you're sitting down with friends and or strangers and having an active conversation with some really interesting, thoughtful questions. And there's a timer in the game, but like one of the fun things is the timer is actually not like you don't you don't have to say your story or answer the question by the time the timer ends. You have to spend at least as much time as is in the timer talking about the question. So it's like it's it's actually like a minimum and not a maximum, which is a really neat, really neat inversion. And that's what uh, Xbox should have used for their business update, you know, and and they're really good questions. Like they're, they're very thoughtful. They're the types of things that can, you know, like, what is the path that you didn't take? It's like these types of things. And the questions are all kind of thematically tied to these alchemical symbols that are uh, like when you make the combination of things, they're all within, within the realm that is being covered by that. Like, and he, he did a lot of, Will did a lot of research on, uh, you know, uh, alchemy and, and, and things like that. So it's got this like neat little design flourish to what is essentially like an excellent, uh, cocktail game. He did it in New York city as a theatrical experiment with strangers and had people like witnessing the conversation happening, which is, was also apparently very successful and really neat. I didn't get to, to see that. Um, hmm. but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, really a real delight stumbling into this game. I discovered it the way that uh, most people discover games by running into Will at uh, a reading of a new translation uh, of uh, Uncle Vanya and uh, in an apartment and, you know, just like as you do and just like yeah. getting to talk to him for a little bit and then realizing that we were in the same uh, movie, like way back in the aughts. <laughs> At one point, just some like wild, uh, wild coincidences. Like, yeah, oh, you were in the 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 Rising Up zombie movie with, yeah, that's <laughs> like wild. Um, of course, you can't recognize somebody when they're zombified and they're in zombie makeup. So that's, that's <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, Social Alchemix is uh, delightful, and I think it's going to be a good uh, if you're somebody who does party games or social games, it's a good one to have on hand. It's a good neat uh extra flavor of that and it is really about cultivating conversation and community it's it will is a very thoughtful person too so there's you know there's there's ways to interact with it in ways like if you if you have things you don't want to talk about like you you have boundaries that you can put out and it's it's Hmm. just like a really good simple game and i think more people should know about it so i'm passing it along I've I'm buying it right now. This seems so perfect for uh, situations I'm I'm in these days where I'm in a relatively new 
city. I've only been here a couple of years and, and meeting uh, parents of, of uh, classmates of my children and getting into sort of, you know, new social situations. I, I think this would be great to, yeah, to have on hand. So I'm, I'm, I'm buying it. It's, I think the thing that's really neat about it is if you have people that you know, have known for a long time and you have an established dynamic with, it disrupts that dynamic and gives you, mm. you like an attempt to like re-explore that ground. Yeah. And then it's also just such a great ice-breaking game at the same time, like if you're if you're meeting new people. And it's, it's one of those games that's not very gamey, by which I right. mean not that it tastes like rabbit, but by which I mean... <laughs> Nobody wins, right? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where people who don't play games will enjoy playing this, right. or people who think of themselves as people who don't enjoy playing games will enjoy playing this game, that, right. if, if that makes sense. That's great. Yeah. Social Alchemix is what it's called. You can find it uh, online by searching for Social Alchemix, socialalchemix.com. Uh, all right. What an awesome episode. So much fun. Rich Lovejoy, thank you for being with us. Oh, my God. Thank you guys for having always. me. Of it's course. A- always welcome here. Always bring such interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, love hearing you. Tell, tell the folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you do online, including Lovejoy on Lovejoy. Yeah. So Lovejoy on Lovejoy, if you go to chaintheater.org, it's program number 12. The discount code is love, just all caps love. Um, you can get the virtual ticket for the 25th. The show also runs, uh, it opens on Tuesday, the 20th. And there's also a show on March 1st. Um, you can also find me on the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast, uh, which is a Canadian gaming podcast that I randomly stumbled into co-hosting several years ago and could not be happier to be doing so. Um, cause life, life does some funny things sometimes. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where you can find me. I would sincerely love, uh, for anyone to see the work going on with, uh, love joy on love joy, because I, I do want to emphasize it's, it's a real, I think an important story for right now. And it's, I'm terrified and nervous. I've never, I'm out of practice, uh, doing a, a play like this. Um, I've had, I've had since the pandemic started, you know, I've, I've done a couple of little plays and, and we have something in New York city called it's getting tired Mildred which is a soap opera for the stage that happens monthly. Uh, very different than this. That's a very, you get the script like a couple days beforehand and you're doing a full soap opera. Um, so yeah, you can also see me in that, I guess, wow. if you're in New York City. I, I play uh, uh, Lancaster Milton, the cult leader slash FBI agent slash jazzercise enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Amazing. It's that's also a, a delightful show, very different than uh, Lovejoy on Lovejoy. And yeah, so find me in Gamers with Jobs, see Lovejoy on Lovejoy, see the soap opera for the stage if you live in New York, and uh, uh, find my movies and stuff. I'm also in movies. Very cool. <laughs> that industry's dying. I'm in every industry that's dying. Yeah, that's, that's your that's your your wheelhouse. That's your, <laughs> that's my wheelhouse. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, I'm on threads and Instagram as Christian underscore Spicer. This show is also on threads and Instagram as DLC Hype Train. And this show is also on YouTube at DLC Pod, where we put up video segments from the show. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays in the morning is when they they post up each and every week. And then um, I write a newsletter 
all about video games, casual, conversational style newsletter about video games called Let's Chat Games that folks can find at christianspicer.substack.com. It's fun. It is. You can find me on uh, socials at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do the film cast about movies and television shows. We have concerns, a comedy science show, and the fan controlled show, which is a show about sports on the fan controlled sports and entertainment networks. Uh, also, the, the DLC book club is going strong. We had an awesome talk, our third with author Steven Erickson, who I just want to be. He is the coolest person on the planet. I love him so very much. A genius. I think indisputable genius. Uh, and uh, you can check that out on my YouTube page, which is uh, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Rich, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, boy. Uh, do I ever. Um, so I, uh, uh, I, I'm i going to recommend a book called Nestlings from Nat Cassidy. Uh, Nat is another – I've kind of made a little theme of some of the things I'm sharing here. Another person I've met through independent theater who is a, an extremely talented person. And uh, Nestlings is his second horror novel. He's a big fan of Stephen King and Nestlings is just such a delightful read. And usually like you get something like your friend publishes a novel, you read it and you're like, cool, I'm really glad they did this. You know, I, I support them. I find the things that I love about it. But this this book is a total page turner. Um, you know, even if even if I did not know uh, Nat in person, like I would I, I would I would still love this book. Like it's a really gripping from page one book. Uh, the basic premise is uh, a, a young couple who have just had their first child, but it was something of a complicated birth process. And one of them is uh, in a wheelchair as a result of going through a complicated labor process. And they're down on their luck in a lot of ways. They've just had one of the worst years uh, imaginable and some suddenly their luck changes a little bit and they get a they win a housing lottery to this kind of exclusive exclusive building in New York and it is terrifying from moment 1 uh it's a really scary book if you're into horror books you will love nestlings um it is also something that uh Nat has described as was one of the impetuses for for writing this is thinking about you know you you know if you watch a vampire like say you watch like a vampire movie and uh, you see somebody pull out a cross and they use the cross to, to scare the the vampire away, you know, you, you might just say, Oh yeah, that's just like a thing. But how does that, how does that make you feel if you're not Christian? Right? Like, so like, what is the, uh, this is sort of the other neat thing about nestlings is it is a very uh, uh, interesting Jewish take on uh, the vampire myth. Uh, without it's not exactly what it is but that is like what the a lot of the inspiration is uh, I don't want to go into saying too much more about it because I don't want to spoil anything I think it's a really uh, fantastic read though so check that out it's an easy read it's also got an audiobook that is read by Nat who's a terrific performer in his own right 
Again, that is Nestlings by Nat Cassidy. And that's uh, Rich's parting gift. Christian Spicer, what about you? Slow Horses on Apple TV+. Plus. I don't know if you guys talked about it on Filmcast. I know uh, Mr. David Chen is a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. I had it on my watch list for a very long time and then just never got around to for the longest of time. My wife and I have uh, dove in now. It's incredible. I, I feel like it was maybe advertised to me the wrong way. The premise that I had in my head when I added it to my watch list was uh, it's like uh, bumbling MI5 agents. It's like the no good right. British spies. Oh, there. And I pictured it not necessarily being Mr. Bean, but also not not being Mr. Bean, you know, kind of like the the suicide squad of – MI5, you know, like who's it's like they get the job done, but oopsie daisy. Um, it's not that. It is heart pounding thriller British espionage at the highest level. Like, yes, the slow horses are a group that maybe had made mistakes in the past in some form or fashion, but the show is not humdum mistake ridden crew stumbles their way into success. Riveting, heart pounding, so well acted. An incredible cast, many of whom folks might know, but everyone you don't know, you'll go, ah, what do I know them from? You know, it's that kind <laughs> of collection of of people that is always from somewhere or something. It, it's a 10 out of 10 show, and I think a lot of folks have probably missed it because it is on Apple TV Plus, and in my humble opinion, um, misadvertised or misrepresented in its advertising. <clears throat> yeah, Two seasons I, now, right? I think the second season, I don't know if it's out or announced. Mm. Uh, we did season one, and I haven't clicked over to see awesome. if there is a season two, but it's great. I, I got to give this one a chance. I, I I was turned off by what I assumed was the premise as well. So maybe Yeah, I, I had the same same exact uh, yeah. experience. Um, and then I briefly thought it was like a concert video where Band of Horses and Slow Dive were playing together, um, but it wasn't that. <laughs> it's Gary Oldman like that that's why yeah. I shortlisted it right and but I agree He's done slow some horses bad stuff though let's be honest yeah yeah He's I mean who has always I mean home run yeah I did th- most of this week's episode you know so like we all <laughs> that's right fair <laughs> the and whole part are, of this week's episode say Christian Spicer the Gary Oldman of video game <laughs> podcasters look there was this episode when Rich wasn't talking and I was messing it up. And then there was the fascinating stuff that Rich was saying. So yeah. we're all part of a stinker. You know, we have other people carry it for us. <laughs> hey, um, my parting gift uh, is something that we, we've talked about a lot on the show. We've talked about unions a lot on the show. Christian and I, big supporters of unionization efforts across every industry, but more specifically the video game industry. And what is happening right now? I got an email from our friend Rebecca Valentine, who's been friend of the show, uh, been on uh, three or four or five times maybe now at this point. Uh, And she wanted to let us know that IGN is unionizing. Hopefully you've already heard about this, but uh, they're unionizing over at IGN and you can actually sign a petition right now to uh, urge Ziff Davis to acknowledge their union and, and, and accept it wholeheartedly. Um, you can do that by going to a very clumsy URL. Um, but uh, if you just Google it, you'll find it, the IGN union. You can get there. Uh, it is action network uh, is the place.org uh, is the place, but it's hard to find. If you go to action network.org, it's not immediately apparent on the site where it is. So you need a link, but 
worth Googling, worth adding your name to the petition. Um, I want to thank Isaac C for emailing us also and letting us know uh, that uh, he supports the the union uh, at IGN. We are big fans of this notion and we are rooting for, for this to go through and, and go through smoothly. And you can sign your name. I already have. Uh, I hope you will too uh, over at actionnetwork.org. Um, so check it out. Check it yeah, out. We're going to try to get Rebecca on again to talk about it and maybe some other folks from IGN. Uh, we'll see how that works out scheduling wise, but um, uh, there are a little over 80 of them uh, and, uh, f- folks who work there and 87% of those have already signed authorization cards uh, and they're just asking for voluntary recognition from Ziff Davis. So it's the IGN creators guild will help you find it as yeah. well as the name of the, the specific union. Thanks. All right. We have a listener suggested parting gift. This comes uh, to us at DLC feedback at gmail.com. It comes from Colin. Colin writes, hearing you talk about the boom and bust of video game companies reminded me of a 2010 music video called fear the boom and bust. The video depicts a rap battle between John Maynard Keynes and, uh, and Friedrich von Hayek two economic uh, two economists who have had a major impact on current economic thought. I'm not an economist, but to me, the video does an excellent job of breaking down complex theories in an interesting and digestible way. Think epic rack battles of history, but with a bit more substance. There's one line in the song about the fact that the soaring increases we see when times are good are not real growth and make the crashes worse when they eventually follow. That feels pretty close to your complaint about the surge in growth of projects when times are good that get axed when the interest rates tick up. Love the show. Thanks so much, Colin. Uh, I hadn't seen this. This is pretty old, uh, but I had not seen this, and it's pretty good. Uh, if you like complex subjects delivered to you in rap form, and who? let's be honest, who does not? Who does not? Uh, I recommend uh, Googling Fear the Boom and Bust rap video. It's, it's clever. Well done. Well done. Thank you, Colin, for bringing it to our attention. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. And we appreciate them. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rich Lovejoy and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Our biggest thanks are reserved for our supporters, our patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Without them, we would not be making the show. You can become one by heading over there and uh, jumping on board. Patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top tier patrons, our hype train patrons, they become video games. What? (laughs) See, the thing is, There are some games that just don't get enough discussion. We like talking about the newest, latest, best. Christian talked about some retro stuff on this episode, but we're talking about some real retro stuff when we bring up the Peter Olberg game. Remember remember Olberg? I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but when my dad showed me it, I was like, this is 
not going to be for me. You know, like it felt like the National really? Tre- was it National Treasure 2, you know, pick up the book, blow the dust off the cover. Yeah. My dad's like, you got to check out Peter Olberg. And I was like, dad, I'm not interested. Holy crap. Well, when I- Incredible. I'm a, little, I'm a little older than you. So when I played it, it was uh, Newberg. <laughs> but now it's Olberg. Uh, it's still still a phenomenal game. So still an incredible on, experience for it. It depends on how old you are, what you Google. Like I searched <laughs> for right. Peter Oldberg old. It's not, it's Oldberg, but you put the yeah. old in there to find it. And Jeff, Jeff Googles, Peter current Berg, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. for you. <laughs> yeah. Contemporary Berg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I play it, it looks like uh, Ken Burns, you know, baseball documentary. <laughs> right. When you play it, it looks like planet earth. It's That's weird. Just- that's just how my whole life work looks. My whole life looks like a Ken Burns diet. I'm so old that my life is a documentary at this point that no one remembers. Um, but you know, the there are a lot of uh there were a lot of there were a lot of Berg games at the time, right? There was the Titanic iceberg game. The, you remember dodging the iceberg of the Titanic? There's the uh, iceberg lettuce game. Olberg was the grandfather of them all. Yeah, I mean, the Titanic game was literally just the tip of the iceberg. Of <laughs> tip of the Olberg. Of the Olberg games. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, what you saw and what you got, vastly different. We talk about games that deliver on the promise of the premise. Yeah. Olberg was like, here's the promise. And then it was like premise. So much just, more premise. So much the more tip premise. Of the promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's what sunk the USS premise, actually. It was just the tip of the promise. That's, That's right. all they saw. I actually bought my first joystick for this game. I didn't even I was I didn't even have joystick. It was a I had it on PC, and by PC I meant uh the you know the computers that were available at the time. And uh I bought a joystick because like it was so lame trying to dodge bergs with the uh arrow keys. You know, pre pre WASD. Oh, it yeah. Was air- nobody used WASD. It was arrow keys. Arrow yeah. keys. Yeah. 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 Which was weird because also with the mouse and a shift and it just and by, again, by mouse, I mean like hunk of brick with a wheel in it. You know, it was not uh, yeah. a mouse by today's standard by any stretch of the imagination. It had like the moving. You got to open yeah. it up, oh, clean it out. Yeah. And it, do you remember it had for the for the time cutting edge technology to. uh to have the 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 text to speech, the, the it was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> remember? I didn't yeah. have I didn't have a sound card, so I didn't get that. I just heard. Oh. <laughs> you, had, you had you had to have a sound blaster, yeah. in order to play it. Uh, but it was worth it because because it would go, oh, <laughs> uh, mine just said times. mine just said. Peter and it was weird because I was like, "That's not. That's all it could yeah. do. That's all my onboard sound could do." Oh, I don't man. know. Man, those were good times. Those were great games. Um, all, another game we should mention: uh, the Nick Strauss Klein game. You remember that one? Do I ever? I thought for sure that this was going to be a fashion game. I I, I thought like Levi Strauss, like that's just sure. where my brain went, and I and Kevin lo- Klein. Exactly. Calvin Klein. I mean, Calvin Klein. Kevin Klein is Kevin uh, Klein played by Ke- Kevin Klein. Yeah. Yeah. Very Calvin Klein. You might not know, but that is uh, Michael J. Fox back in time. 
Um, right. It's yes. who that is. I don't know if you knew that. Um, yeah. But it wasn't but, a fashion game, was it? No, it was not a fashion game at all, which threw me for a loop because I was super into some of those like paper craft, like build your X-Men style games that you had back then of yeah. like put this costume on Wolverine, do that or whatever. And yeah. then I opened up Nick Strauss Klein and to discover that it was, I guess, the precursor to some extent of some of these card games where it managed to replicate, you know, pl- playing cards against somebody who I swear had a gun under the table pointed at you is what it oh, felt yeah. like, you know, just that yeah. high intensity well, it, situation. It, it, it redefined, uh, you know, how you even put those card combinations together. Right. Because, you know, it, it, it like, like in a poker game, you'd have, you know, a flush, a straight or a straight flush. You could even either have a Strauss, a Klein or a Strauss Klein. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> I do. And the timer counting down the whole time, too. It felt like every time you completed a hand, you did it just in the nick of time or <laughs> just right. in the nick of Strauss-Klein. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, w- I, I, I thought, you know, you could, you could steal stuff. You could nick a Strauss-Klein. Mm. But uh, no, you with were that right. gun under You're, the table. I, I, maybe that. you could. I never Ooh. tried. I was always too afraid. But man, so many, so many nights I stayed up way past my bedtime trying to just – I could you it it was easy to get a Strauss, and every once in a while I got a Klein. I couldn't get a Strauss Klein. I just played it simple, and I was just thousand cuts. I was just nicking them to death. That's how I played it. Yeah, Uh, thousand paper cuts. You know, tiny, tiny, tiny little nicks. I was so good. You could level up your cards. Uh, It it was it was great. Uh, Double Strauss, double Klein, double Strauss Klein. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah the triple nick you don't want to forget about the triple Ooh, nick never never was... never forget the triple nick very undervalued but uh it was a good strat it was a good strat it was Those a great, great strauss games. good good strauss good klein <laughs> good strauss klein hey we appreciate all of our hype train patrons thank you for supporting us at such a high level and letting us completely butcher your names uh we enjoy it i hope you enjoy it too Thank you. You can support the show. You can become one of the hype train patrons to have us do this to you at patreon.com. Do this to you. Or for you or with you or near you. Uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.